Welcome to Tenants. Thank you for coming. No worries. I'm always always a pleasure. So we're here on a podcast, you and I. The beginnings of something new. The beginning of something new that will last a short while and die. <laughs> season one, folks. This is the... We always make season one plot. This is the plot episode. Plot episode? Uh, the pilot. Pilot, that's the word I'm thinking. This is the plot. We're not going to make it. <laughs> Full disclosure, we have tried this once before and it was okay, but it wasn't perfect and I feel like we needed a second shot at it. I think the first time we were a little bit over the map. This guy's looking for perfection. Uh, I think maybe, yeah. Perfection, but I just wanted to... I. I don't, as a pilot episode... A practice run. We're now, practice doing, run. We're now doing reshoots. <laughs> we're coming in and we're giving it a, a second draft. Editing, everything. No, I think it was good practice. I think it's all... Well, we're going to be tighter. We're going to be more concise. This is going to be, hopefully this time, a tight 120 minutes as opposed to the six hours that it was last time. Was it that long? No, it wasn't Jesus. that long. Jesus. Was was I didn't realise it went past the two hours that far. But it did go past two hours. Jeez. Uh, we went on many a tangent, but... Hopefully, we'll be better. Um, do you recall the name of this said podcast? Uh, I believe it was something to do about our culture and slash of how it or our lives being affected by where we live, or as you would say it, the white man or the <laughs> white world. Which uh, well, that was specific. This podcast was talking about just our influences that affected our lives and culture be, being born in england but parents being from somewhere else how does that affect you as a human being i think that was the main gist i've spoken to maybe like five to eight people in the last few weeks who have been like so what is it that you want to do about and i've been like shit i can't explain this in two sentences and every time i say it it then comes out in such a way i'm like that sounds so boring let me <laughs> let me try that again uh we're selling a movie i gotta think of like a movie wise like Fast and Furious 9, family. It's all about family. So rather than the episode specifics that you were describing, if I told you the podcast was called Tenets, does that ring any bells? Mm. Yeah, that does sound boring. <laughs> Do you remember the definition of Tenets? Would you like the definition again? I would like the definition again, Tenets. Um, because I in- initially think Tenets is like in a house. Tenets. Oh, tenets. T-E-N-E-T-S. Tell me what it tenets is. Tenets is a principle or belief, especially one of the main principles of religion or philosophy. Mm. Uh, the quote here is... I remember you, I remember you The philosophy. tenets of classical liberalism. And liberalism might be something that we come to speak about quite a lot. Excellent. I'm excited. Uh, some synonyms. Principle. Belief. This one's interesting. Doctrine. Uh, creed. Dogma, article of faith, uh, thesis, opinion. I like that one. Um, so if you can't, you just sell it to people by hypothesis. saying, it's like, do your thoughts dictate who, like, do your thoughts in your head and how you act dictate the kind of person you are? Yes. That, that's in like, when you're trying to explain it to other people, what this podcast is about, can you just say it's something something similar to that? We're just like we're just thinking: does does your past experience change the future you and how you think? Because that's basically what we're what we we're going to talk about, aren't we? So there you go. There's your two sentences. I'll take my royalty check right now. Thank you very much. What does tenants mean to you? 
knowing that definition? Um, I think it's what, just from that, like when you said philosophy or religion or I think you, how, what drives you in your life, you know, what, what makes you go certain ways is based off those foundations that you have. So you can have a foundation. I'm, a lot of people have, have many foundations, but you can have a strong foundation in religion. How are you going to, how does that, how is that going to impact your next week or your next day? For example, you could have a, a certain philosophy on there or what was the last word you said? A certain, uh, like opinion. Yes. Yeah, like, especially like opinion is going to dictate like what you're going to buy in the supermarket for example you know soy latte, soy latte i think that's the fun thing about philosophy or religion or doctrine or dogma i think a thing that we both agree on or at least i stand for is it's opinion it's the rules you choose to govern your life or the structure in which you decide to live by and that can be highly subjective and I'm interested in, I think I've always been interested in how that subjectively changes for each individual person. I think that's why philosophy is often the most, probably at the most packed out room in lectures or, you know, it's always really like from A-levels to uni to even outside side of life to these classes, people will, people will always be interested in, 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 in kind of philosophy conversations and debates. Like you must've heard of the classic would you, you got one person on the track compared to five people on the track. Even, even, even like a simple thing like that can get really, really detailed, you know, and you have the choice to move it. That's always stimulates argument. And I think, I think I try to petition for, and what I believe and what I would like to discover here is you end up with scenarios like that. And it's a space where any answer is encouraged and, not just outrightly saying which one is right or wrong and also how right and wrong is so subjective to an individual i think we'll disagree and agree on it depends on the topic really i think we have different starting points but that's also the beauty of philosophy it's highly subjective to yourself you have to choose the things which are going to govern your lives your principles you've got to choose a code and it's okay for that to differ from person to person. Mm. Or and, you get lost and in I, the chaos. And, I, and to me, I see that line run through a lot of the things, or one of the things that I jump to first when I break down or look at situations is how it differs for each and lots of different people and how you can come out in so many different ways. Yeah, sounds good. All right, let's start off with the... No, let me go somewhere else first. Ooh. It would be remiss of me to ask you... What's your coronavirus experience so far? Oh, wow. What's the okay. world like for you? How is it out there? The wild, wild west? Um, at, at school, it's very, like, all the, obviously all the students are panicking. No, I wouldn't say controlled panic might be the correct word of saying it. I'm always getting, you You're know. You're a teacher. I am a teacher, yes. Just to clarify, I am a teacher at a secondary school and there's often you know the same students will ask me every day when is the school shutting down when is the school shutting down every single time uh and there's so much more antibacterial wipe i wouldn't say it's gone into panic full-blown panic there i think it's just essentially they know that things are shutting down they're a bit concerned there's no toilet paper left 
wouldn't say it's gone like I can go outside right now you know do my regular shopping people seem to be okay there's I think I think being I don't know I think just the English folk aren't aren't panicking too much do you think it's a serious enough issue or are we taking it seriously enough in the UK do you think it's is it either not on our doorstep fully yet or no it's definitely on we're just being very British about it and being like it's it's not a real thing it's a conspiracy we're being more we're being when you yeah when in terms of british we're kind of like seeing how it goes i think we're not i think what the current government is doing i can see their rationale thinking if they shut down everything it might cause more pain or death in the long run because if you're shutting down services like for example schools who will take care of like that was one example who will take care of the school of the children in there so staff will have to be read like from nhs for example will have to be will have to take care of the children which is fair and then that will be less that would mean there will be less people helping at the hospital so people might be in danger like a higher chances of danger i can see where that, i can see where that's where that's coming from i think that was a very good point because my my sympathy and my immediate response is this is a thing which is going to break out. I think it will spread globally and it already has. It has. But I think I feel like it's going to get huge. Or I don't know if a part of me maybe wants it to get huge as well. Um <laughs> the anarchist in you. Yeah. And it burn. I'll be fine. I've got the best immune system. Yeah, this guy just for reference. This guy when he when <laughs> he has such a good immune system. Whenever anyone gets sick, he's just like, "Oh yeah, I coughed for an hour and I'm I'm okay now." So when everyone gets the flu for like a few a week or so, I get it for the whole month. This guy gets it for just oh yeah, I had I had the sniffles for a little bit. I'm okay now. This I'm just very jealous of the fact of this. I'm sure you know. Oh, it's just really frustrating for people just to have that kind of immune system. They just don't understand. I'm happy about that, but I'm also now cautious about it because what you're reaching the elderly age. <laughs> I think it will spread, and part of my initial so part of me is like let it spread i think on the one hand i balance the idea of this could be i know noah's ark cleansing purge of whatever shit could be in the world or it could be a chance now of our generations one of our great strifes that we that shapes the landscape of the world that we live in and could alter things i don't think so i don't think it's gonna be that i don't i, I, don't, I don't think it's gonna be that extreme part of me hopes um Again, yeah, I'm only talking with limited information. I'm not an expert or, or or have like current data to look at. I think the virus itself, washing your hands, like the whole washing your hand, it's made people more aware of their, san- like more aware of their, what's the word, sanitary? Yeah, sanitary, like hygiene. And which is, which is good, but it's also sad that people needed a coronavirus to to be like a, some kind of a pandemic just to be like oh wow i should wash my hands after i do after i go to the toilet but uh, washing the hands is sensible i think it's just what really worries me that i'm watching some videos of people coming from italy to england and at the airport you know at heathrow no one's no one's getting checked like no one's even having like the casual temperature like logging just a little thing like that whereas i know now in new zealand don't go to New Zealand for holiday because they're going to keep you in isolation for two weeks. So that's basically your whole year that's gone. Sick. This, so the, the, on the one hand, I think it's is going... That, is, that, is that a pun? That's sick. 
on the one hand, it's going to spread and I think it will do its thing. I think it will run its course. I think we'll get on top of it and it just depends on how many losses we take in that. And at what point we're like, oh shit, this is a real thing. Let's get on top of it. Because at the moment we're trying to keep everything running as much as it can. On the other hand, I'm like, shouldn't, I feel like we should all just immediately be in lockdown. I said this to you earlier. I think we, every, all countries should be like, let's just cancel everything. Everybody should be like, I'm not going on holiday for the next year. Let's stay in our houses. Let's do this thing. Let's do the like post-apocalyptic cordon off. Some people are just going in betweens and let's, let's get this thing to die down. When people quicker. think like that, when people say things like that, I just think of the scene in uh, Shaun of the Dead where there's like, let's just go to the Winchester pub and wait till it all blows over. And I would love that to happen. Um, and that kind of, mood to have me just chill in a in the pub with everyone and just be like yep just Let's just all die s- out. settle down we wouldn't all die out but we would just run out we'll run out of alcohol and food so that would be the biggest one oh uh, you were saying like i i understand there should be and there probably will be a lockdown procedure in england it will just probably be the last one um do i think it's yeah do i think it's unfair i think it's unfair to other countries if people are moving back and forth because flight travel is still a go. Even like some flights are, you know, some, should we stop all flights? Some empty flights. Um, no, I don't think we should stop all, all empty flights. Should we not just batten down the hatches and be like, let's get on top of this. Let's eradicate. Let's get, let's be on the decline before we start operation of movement again. It would, if, if we had the reaction time, I feel like if we're taking it seriously enough, if that's you were in what Italy, we do. If you were in Italy and you had the reaction time of the outbreak and then you're like, okay, for the next two weeks, shut all, all air, airplane flights. Yeah, I would I would understand that. I could, I could get on board with that. It's just by the time you realize there's a outbreak, it's been so long that people have already pe- traveled around the country or anything like that. It's already out there. So it's more the fact is like, why would shutting down the borders now, would it actually help you in the long run? And I can understand, yeah, I'm just thinking to myself like, okay, if we shut down everything, let's say we go shut down now in England tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They'll keep food and I'm guessing they'll keep food and pharmacies open. Sure. And like medicine, medicine will go back around. That's fine. But it's just talking about how, how much will that affect you after you come out of the... Um, like stocks crashing right now. I'm talking. I'm. I'm now looking at reproduction of goods and stuff. Reproduction of goods. How much food has been expired um, in the next six months, for example? How long are we shutting down for? Do you still let the farmers work or whoever's producing the food? Well, I imagine those people. If we have a plan of action, those people are the some of the first ones that we test. We get those people who are able-bodied, who are specialists in that, to be like, you know what, we're gonna. This is our time to shine. We're going to pump all our financial, or not all our financial, but a good amount of our financials into these people right now to be able to produce. And we will get food and medicine popping and we'll get those out there. We'll ride this storm out. And then how how long forward would you do it? Because you were saying like, I can understand. Oh yeah. Maybe we should all have a collective responsibility to stay in our homes for a certain amount of time. But, what is a certain amount of time? Would you say to two weeks? Would you say a week? Would you say a month? Like, because they are, I think they'll only shut down maximum a week or two. 
I think the thing that's maybe stopping us, I don't have the facts, is the widespread infrastructure at the moment to be able to test and get results fairly quickly. And so because that isn't there, that's why they're letting everything carry on. Because it's like, if we do shut it down, how are we going to be able to track the metric of if this is dying down or not? I I think the most dangerous thing about this virus isn't just the symptoms. It's just the transmission rate is really, really high. And that's the danger. The fact that it can transmit so easily. And then there's the chance that it might mutate again. So imagine like you get the flu every year. Like, well, I say you, but (laughs) regular people get the flu every year, but it's the same virus, just a different form form of it. Sure. But that happens like once every year. Imagine if the coronavirus changed every two, three months. That would be interesting to see i think it's only a theory guys i've been i'm partly interested in it as a the test of human existence we we've kind of been lucky that we've not had an outbreak of some sort in we've had a good period of stability since maybe like the last war um we've had small things but nothing which has really decimated the world maybe the last big thing was the stock market crash. Um, I think in terms of like, yeah, I think that was very big. Uh, yeah, 2008. Yeah, right? like 2008? Yeah. around then. But that had a big impact. Now, this is one which everybody's aware of and it's impacting everyone and can almost alter life how we live it on a day-to-day basis. Like right now, if I, if I knew I had the virus, I would not carry on with my day-to-day living activities. But even if I don't know that I'd have the virus, but I know that the transmission rate is is here and it's it's quite high in London compared to everywhere else because everyone everyone's just flying to London which is which I understand I'm making a more um collective choice to be like you know what I'll stay indoors or I'll stay this and and I'm just waiting for I could button down the hatches and there'd be students who haven't come to school because they're like the parents are just like no I you know and it could be there could be many reasons like one just might be a personal choice. I don't want my son or daughter getting corona. Could be because they have illnesses. Um, because the the virus is targeting elderly and also people with underlying conditions. Uh, and, and, you know, there are students with diabetes. There are students with uh, underlying, like, respiratory problems as well. And I can 100% be like, do not come to school. Fine, we'll send you some stuff online. Uh, it's fine. Do we have a personal responsibility on an individual level to bot- to button down our hatches in order to not spread it because yes the one thing is oh i've been tested positive therefore i should self-isolate yeah but coming back to that idea of i mean good luck finding a date now in the next three months two months good luck (sighs) good luck meeting people um as you were saying i've got a really advantageous immune system and yeah, you'll probably make it stronger. And <laughs> I would say in like the last three weeks, I've probably interacted with someone who I think had been in China the few weeks in like in previous history. Now you're telling me this. <laughs> you're telling me this now. I've <laughs> I've hugged somebody who had come from Italy almost days before that. And Jesus. I was going to see somebody That's pretty bad, Jamie. Who had flown in from Copenhagen. So I myself have to accept the culpability of my actions up until this point and how 
I've not really respected the no touching, let alone isolating. And that's probably born out a combination of the British attitude to it up until this point. My invincibility to flu normally and some hippie principle of not letting external strife separate us and not necessarily being scientific about it. Do we all have a responsibility to know that even if we don't get it, we should be like, let's just isolate and see this all blow over because we don't know who's carrying it. I think it's more like a, it's not like a switch or, you know, it's not like an on and off kind of like, do I either button down the hatches or do I carry on my life being a free, happy liberal? I think you have to make more choices. I think, and that's all up to, up to the person relating to like, oh, I've met someone from Italy. Hmm. Maybe I should wait a week or two, see if I develop any symptoms before I meet someone from, what was the other country before Copenhagen? Uh, somebody who had been to China. Yeah, China and everything like that. I, I And... It's just one of those. It's a judgment call, isn't it? It's it's your it's it's based on your judgment and people. It's gambling. Will have judgment is the controlled, uh, more adult version of gambling. But I it's, it's it's a judgment call. It's You're, a judgment call. But this is something I have no idea if they're going to be carrying it. So I'm gambling that they don't well, have it. Well, you can always talk to them after a week or two and be like, "Do you have it? Do you have it?" And then if they do, then you're like, "Okay, I'm gonna probably gonna get it." So I'm. Some people got, have got the virus but haven't been sick. So let me come to you and ask you for your your judgment and advice. Tell me what I need to do. Should I be being, should I myself stay indoors, not talk to people because I've not been a particularly helpful person up to this point? I think if you're... Should I be more responsible? I think if you're... Should I stop shaking hands and hugging people? I mean, a lot of people are like doing the classic elbows now in school, which is funny, like just elbowing each other. And I'm just like, all right, fair. Or just washing their hands every time they do a handshake with someone. I think for you that like you've met, it's like, like this person has been in, has come from Italy and that, and as long as you know, they haven't been sick or anything like that, I can, I can understand that. I don't know much about the virus if it's, um, if you can give out the virus without symptoms, like even before you get sick. But I think for most flus or for anything like that, you get the flu, but you don't, you experience symptoms after the toxins are released into your body. Mm-hmm. So they're already inside you. So I'm, I'm going to go with the, um, so you're saying assumption. I'm fine. No, I'm going to the assumption that, yeah, maybe if the virus have gotten you, maybe make a, take a week off, you know, you're, you're take a, take, take a week off being, living that solidarity life see if you get sick no it's just a lot of i think especially for our for our age range we're relatively okay i'll be the one to go with my with my with my health problems before you do we were i was talking to my friend uh he's a teacher teacher with me and he was just like we're, we're sitting right next to each other and he's coughing next to me i'm like and he just like he just like just starts hugging me like we'll die together because he has diabetes uh type 1 diabetes so he's on the list of it's like that Simpsons Hamlet episode where Lenny and Carl high five each other and die. Yeah, essentially. I think in terms of how is it in general, what are people doing? I think just carrying on with your daily activities. I don't know what's going to happen and see what the government does really. Just be aware of that every day. But I think with your life, I think it's fine. You know, you're going to just be just be a bit more your choices that you make are you going to talk to more people are you going to see more people maybe wait it out don't see elderly people 
it's not like the elderly people get that much love anyway but in terms of they are the most exposed like that's i'm just worried about my parents really and likewise i mean the same so the reason why i may be more conscious about whether i'm carrying it don't go home jamie basically because my newborn baby niece yeah you don't you don't want to be that guy like you heard in the news there was the that the first baby has been has got coronavirus now today i think this morning or something like that so it's yeah. gonna be a mutant. You don't baby. wanna be you don't yeah, it's gonna be a mutant. It's like yeah, coronavirus his power is coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> it can turn it on and off. It's yeah, you don't wanna be you don't wanna be that guy. And also it's like your brother will hold it against you when she does survive for the rest of your life. Like remember that time you almost killed my daughter. So let's move into this. The candles are lit. The incense is on. The topic I've got you actually in for. As you happen to be my closest friend. Ha! That's sad, Jamie. <laughs> I don't know how prophetic this is. You also happen to be... Your hero. <laughs> one of my only brown friends. Yeah, I think. You're the brown I'm... person I have the most contact time with. Also the person as well. Even if you got rid of brown, <laughs> I am just, <laughs> just the, the person, person. I spend the most contact I've time I've been self-isolating. It's not my fault. You haven't been self-isolating. You <laughs> just said that 10 minutes ago. You've been going to all the other I've also locations. been like, I, I'm, 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 I climb. That's like oh, grime, mm, handholds, that is, spit, yes. blood, piss. Uh, that is true. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where did <laughs> piss? Like, People get high up, they piss on the walls. Oh my goodness. That is quite grimy. I'm not going to lie. I, I, you, you better be like cleaning every single hold. Hand sanitizer <laughs> into chalk bag on the holds. I think it's just the thing about climbing. When you talk about climbing, I know going back, it's just, it's so easy to, when you get off, you're like, oh, I just want to touch my face. Or like, oh, high five everyone. Yeah, high five everyone. Wipe the sweat off your brow. You're just like, you're just, it's so common now. And it's like, oh. Um, wear gloves. <laughs> wear gloves. Um, Brown person and brown person, I want to talk to you about being a brown person navigating the white world and white spheres. Um, and you particularly, because I think, one, we've grown up and spent a lot of time together in this part of our life where this has probably become more of a conscious thought stream for me. Can we define the white world just for, because I always, you know, how I am, I am with are we just saying white world in terms well, of I, I, okay. America, let, England? Let me, say white, those, let me say white spheres. So mostly populated by white people. Um, so. I, I would say dominated or dictated because I think a thing that I would say about my own experience um, and I would perhaps even say for yours also, I feel like we do not operate in in a pre- typically prescribed brown experience um, based on the lives of others or people that we grow up around or know or what is considered traditional or typical of a brown existence. Um, I would say... So traditional, so you can say like traditional yeah. traditional heritage stuff. Sure. Um, I feel like, and I, th- I think we operate outside those lines perhaps other walks of life which aren't necessarily designed or weren't originally designed for us that's how i would consider white spheres and you might disagree you might say i'll i'll disagree a a bit like the the fact that you said like weren't wasn't designed for us i think can be a bit 
it's a bit sounds a bit vague, but we'll carry on. Once uh, once we start getting in the conversation, we can we can start hammering out. But but no, I think yeah, I think living. I think the best way is like having parents basically in a from a different that's not from England or from UK, uh, and just seeing the effects of children being living in growing up in there. I think we have we've had a yeah quite a unique life. I think um, that's quite good. Isn't the whole notion of assimilation to integrate yourself within a space that isn't your own? So typically speaking, say, for the brown experience, I would say that is immigrant parents, which we both have, um, moving into this country and then being encouraged to integrate with the rest of this world, which has typically been dominated by uh, the white people who were here before us. I think it's more the fact that I think assimilation is just to make you not an outsider. You don't want to be born, you know, you don't want to be, I wouldn't want to be born in England, like born in England and raised in England as well and not be seen as part of the UK or an English person. If someone sees my passport, they're going to be like, what? You know, I don't want that to be a thing in my mind. It might be a shock to people seeing my passport because that's their w- worldviews. But for me, it's just like you've be- assimilation is you've come into this country. We follow the laws of the, cult- of the laws of the country. You'll experience the culture of the country and there'll be culture clashes, which is just normal. But, I you know assimilation is just a point to make you seem as a British person. It doesn't mean that like oh I you know I'm not gonna get like deluded and be like I'm a white guy now, but I understand that you know I'm still you know if I'm from this obviously obviously that's a skin color uh, thing. But the fact that if I'm someone says oh, where are you from I'm like oh I'm English, and I'm okay with that. Um, I'm proud of that. <laughs> so off off of the back of that. Um, do you think you have a self-awareness about being brown? Um, whether, do you have a self-awareness of being brown and does it inform the experience that you have? I think it's it's not the, it's not the skin color. Like I understand that I am from so I have a back, you know, I have the background in, in from Mauritius. So I understand like, you know, you're, I'm literally every day I've got the Mauritian heritage to me, be it eating Mauritian food, uh, you know, when I was younger, quite Hinduism, uh, in, was doing all the prayers and everything like that. Obviously there's roots there. I can make jokes with other people, uh, from other brown people in that certain demographic that can be like, oh yeah, we get this joke, ha ha ha. Or we get this, you know, this food, this spice, or something that they wouldn't like the a common, English, uh, a common white person would wouldn't understand unless they were exposed to it. But that's that's you know that's just the nature of 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 you know minorities coming into a place and just exposing um, new ideas. Because you know, what about you? Do you think it's different to you know is your world order that different compared to where you came from? Good old. Where are you from, Jamie? That's the real question. 
but where are you really from? <laughs> yeah, but where are you really from? I should be like, oh yeah, so where are you from, Jamie? Um, before that, I think the notion of being in a minority insinuates immediately that there is a majority and that creates the dissidence between a white sphere and a brown sphere, in quotation marks. Um, it's always seen as this smaller bubble which is trying to overlap and integrate with into this larger white-dominated bubble or a British bubble or an English bubble. Yeah, I would say more um, I would say more like English bubble more than a white bubble because like when Polish people come here, they they I think they experience some similar things to us as well. For sure. Um yes. So it's there is an element of there's always an outsider and an insider. Um Okay. And I think there is definitely that conversation, which is more to do about your heritage and whether that's the country that you come from. But I do also think there is a conversation to be had about race. I think race is an unavoidable metric which impacts the life and experience of people within it whether that's the black peoples, the brown peoples, Western culture versus Eastern culture. I think culture, definitely. And I think, yeah, I would agree that race has an effect on people. And I think the more you think about it or the more you think it, think, the more you think it thinks it affects you, then that will dictate more power uh, from you. I'm more, I've always been, I think I was taught at a young age, it's always the individual I've always been looking at the individual more so than a pack of people. But I can also understand from looking at, when you look at different sets of data, for example, like, oh, there's this, there's a high distribution of this, it, for, for this demographic, there's a high distribution of, like, for example, you know, a high distribution of people buying a certain product, like, you know, girls buying this kind of product or boys little boys like young i'm talking about like toys and like action man uh i say action man nobody knows what action man is marvel toys uh and like what superheroes do they choose or anything like that there's uh, there's always that kind of data to say that but if i were to talk to someone individually i would tr i wouldn't think of them as a white person black person brown person i'd say oh this is a this person is clearly white or something obviously i'm not blind but then how they how they'd act would then inform my decisions um, and that's kind of a th point that you hit on there is a big part of why I also wanted to speak about this with you, because this might come off and sound, I think, overall to have an anti-white narrative. Here we go, guys. But um, both of us have maybe been raised with or believe into not necessarily liking the race card or and approaching things with a victim complex. And this is where we get canceled for being known as victim blamers. Um, but so if you go into a situation looking for racism, I think you can blow that situation up further than is actually maybe there. If you go looking for something, you can find it. If you go into a room or some, or, you know, the classic, you can create you can you can also play a part in creating that friction yeah like you can definitely make things worse so for example if you and jamie are going dating with your dating life 
saying, I can't date anyone. It must be because I'm brown and nobody likes brown people. The data is there. <laughs> You're already, already creating that situation where, you know, it's not going to, it's not a healthy mindset For to, sure. to have. Um, you know, are more white people dating? Yes, but there are more white people in general, you know, in, in, in that kind of regard. There's always, you know, something to settle that oh i don't feel i don't feel like i'm 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 dating or or oh this you know not many brown people go to this restaurant i'm like there's a hundred thousand people ninety nine thousand of them are white the other the other thousand people just haven't found the restaurant yet like but also do you not believe that there are other things at play there structures or social norms which funnel people down certain avenues whether by Maybe by bel- malicious choice or maybe just by, I know, different factors which cause it. So I think it's maybe people's habits yeah. through generations yeah. where maybe like, you know, you wouldn't go to. I'm just trying to think. Well, I think habitual habits is kind of what informs, quote unquote, our culture. Yeah. And I think a lot of our biases are formed by the things which have come before us. Um, do you think those do you think culture clashes exist? 100%. And so given that admission, do you not think your brownness has any bearing on your human daily experience? So let me give you an example. My brownness. Let me give you an okay. example. Yeah, sorry. That just uh, kind of froze me there. One today, we go to lunch. We walk into a <laughs> restaurant <laughs> and <laughs> classic yep. bar Western scene. Everybody stops. The music player <laughs> zips off. Everybody turns. Glasses drop. They're on their floor. And we get a good stare while we take our seats. What okay. Do, that was one of the... Okay, I'll be, I'll I, be honest. What, I, you don't really so know when you're London. when you're faced with that, what? how does that play through in your mind? What is your mind processing in that moment? I think for me, like, I think when that happened, that was, that was weird. So we just basically went to a, a restaurant and then just everyone just stared at us for a good, a good two more seconds than usual. Usually when you hear the door, you're like, you just look up, uh, you just carry on with your life. We had a good two, two seconds stare downstairs. I think the first thing was initially. It was longer than two seconds. It was, okay. It was longer than two seconds. It was uh, two it games. It was until we left. Two game seconds. <laughs> everyone had one eye it was, on it, it, wasn't, it wasn't until we left. Um, it was the, I think initially it was just a bit of shock. Because I'm thinking, wow, here, really? Like, obviously, when you go to when I when I'm and it's to- not a pl- it's a place that I've been to before. It's a place that we yeah I've been to, maybe accompanied with a white person before. I'm, like, oh, I'm, okay, fine. Cool. I'm I'm going to argue. I'm just going to argue. Okay, so let me give answer the question. It was the fact that yeah, literally a shock. And then I just said, ah, oh, this is just normal because if I I've gone to different places, further north or in different parts of England where they don't see a person like me quite often so they they have the initial stare up but then i think once they hear me or once they once they see how i interact it's they think oh yeah, he's english like that's that's fine um or even even if he wasn't like even if i wasn't let's say i started speaking like just a random language like if i was just a classic indian guy just speak with you and we were just speaking like hindi together i don't think they would don't think they would mind that much but it was just it was funny it, it, to me to me it was funny that's all in my head it was more it was just more like haha they're staring. I agree. And I think that's our perspective in terms of, yeah, we don't go shocked and appalled. No, I was not. Shocked we we find it comical. Yeah. Because 
Like, what else can you do in that situation? Yeah, I mean, but that's also because our experience has conditioned us to be like, oh, this is what we should expect. This is a thing which can happen. And at this juncture, I can choose to stand up on my seat and be like, yo, what are you, got, what are you looking at? Is, <laughs> yeah. it, is it because yeah. I'm black? Yeah. Uh <laughs> or you can be like, oh, okay, this is just what I expect. And therefore it's normalized. And it, I can, I can choose to feel a victim in that, or I can just be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just sweep it under the rug. We've got a bit more conditioning to it in terms of uh, the shocked things. But I think in, in, in... And that to me is an, or a descriptor of operating within white spheres as people of color. Not necessarily, I mean, we're as brown people because we can get more intricate within that because that's our experience. But I would say that's kind of universal to being people of color when you choose or subscribe to operate in spaces which haven't been historically i just think the reason or traditionally defined as ones where you hang out with yeah true but i just think it would just we look dope uh just the clothes <laughs> we just we just look good like we, we we just we just look good and you know we were wearing you know we weren't wearing the classic jeans and a and a shirt and I think those, I think the people in that restaurant were what, like. So you're what, saying they're being compliment. They were being complimented. I us. think I, I took it as a compliment because you know they. I thought they were just like, damn, son. Like they were looking at us, but they weren't like. Then they just started. Then I realized I saw their eyes like looking at the clothes, and I was just thinking, like Jamie, you look just good. It's fine. Like we look good. Like we have the we had coats. We had like different different dif different clothing it's like if someone comes in you know when, whenever you know someone come in with different clothing to what you expect you you you, you want to look at it and appreciate it a little bit more that's what i think honestly it, it, that's that's what happened they didn't look at me and thought <gasps> brown man bad but who knows even if it was brown man bad i'm like yeah damn right i'm still i'm still in this restaurant do you think that has informed the way in which you operate in those spaces in order to do you have to over comply? Do you have to be like, okay, I'm in this space. Hands up. <laughs> Freeze. <laughs> I'm in the airport. You're allowed to check me because uh. that, or just like in being like, oh, because a trait about you is you're loud. Yeah. But, yeah. And I, I, I think also okay, ha yeah. have, has that been a developed trait and like making jokes is that a developed trait to lower people's guards to disarm them? Maybe, maybe. You don't even based think on your experience, be like, okay, I'm now in this space as quote unquote an outsider, and therefore I've had to figure out processes in which to endear myself to the people around me. I think partly, maybe it's partly that. I think when I was younger, I was always, I was always quite a loud kid. And I like making people laugh or smile, or I was always interested in in hearing people's ideas and stuff, be it stupid or good. Because I used to, you know, I still I still do, but I, I used to really like good arguments and stuff like that. So obviously that just naturally, you know, and with my dad, my you know, his normal regular voice is my teacher shouting voice. So it's more the fact that you know that 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 just comes with the with the territory. Uh, does it affect? I think comedy is like four different when back to your question about culture clashes I think comedy is a really good remedy for it and I probably noticed that at a younger age where people you know different people would come together and make fun you'd make little jokes of each one like haha you know you know you, you of, of each other's cultures and that would be great so like a common thing for me when I was from what I remember is when you're younger we talk about Hinduism versus Christian um 
Christianity and you just think to myself like <laughs> Jesus made oh Jesus made a few extra sandwiches with his fish you know my god my god ate the sun like and then that would be like a nice way to like just um share and also like yeah banter <laughs> with with different cultures and stuff like that so maybe partly yeah that's actually a good shout maybe that's uh, what led to it and in the same breath do you think that's right or wrong that you have had to or adapt to my surroundings. Yes. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Think it's good. Um, because this is the thing. This is a. I think my experience, maybe up until two years ago, is something was. I avoided trying to make things racial, because I didn't want to complicate the issue with. Like I said, go looking for something that isn't necessarily there. I, I so I operated in those spaces of... You can clearly see things. Like though. if you step into a room and you don't know the people and then they have a friendship, then you kind of have to break the ice and you have to get to know people and endear them and figure out the space that you're in. But you're just a super, Like if we play the role reversal card and, you know, you said, oh, what if we were just two white guys going into the shop? With the same clothes, by the way, with the same clothes, would we get a same or similar reaction? I would say we would get the similar reaction. I mean, and that's uh, a fair, that's of, a fair thing. That's a thing that we don't know. And it's just because just because you're you're the same skin color as someone else doesn't mean that you have an initial bond with them. I think more. I've noticed over the years now when I integrate when I talk more to brown people, mostly like most like mostly brown males, uh, interact. They seem more at ease with me like in a, in a group sort of like recently I went to a karaoke place and you know the people I was talking to everyone but then just people who were a bit more quieter tend to talk to me is it because you did fun. a Bangra duet so you bonded with each other yeah well, yeah <laughs> and it was just brothers more, in solidarity yeah but, but it was just more of the fact that it's I, I think it's less that and I think it's just more cultural thing like the stuff that we like are very similar like honestly like it, you put the brand you know you go you go to an R&B club we went to, went to uni you go to the R&B section what was the, what was the R&B section called uh, Cogs yeah so we went to Loughborough University so there was Cognitos and then you would go to you go to the R&B place and what do you expect to see like you know, blacks and browns chilling, and the and 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 and, and a few white people but as well. That's also so that, I think that is a good example of it. There, like that is when you when I talk about spheres and spheres which are quote unquote dominated or have been assumed or have their roots based around culture and culture which is of a different color. Uh, Hip hop, R and B, urban that ugly urban. word. Um, <laughs> those cultures have been or that culture has been accessible or around people of color and you notice mostly people of color around there whereas there was the other rooms where white people hung out mostly and so you're kind of there are spheres where people of color hang out and spheres where well, white a people, majority, white people major, dominated. a majority yeah, of, dominated yeah, yeah and dominated doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing at all times. I think yeah, but it's more cultures. Like we went to, so there were three. There were three main rooms. One was upstairs. Um, I forgot the name of that. The upstairs played a lot of cheesy music, very very cheesy, two thousand ish. And you could say like you could you would say white people. It's it's more that culture. It could wipe, yeah, and that the, the dancing kind of situation. <laughs> but then then you had Cognitos, which played a lot of music like Kanye, Drake. Drake was the main, probably the main one that people loved. Everybody loved Drake. You know, there was that's the thing about Drake. All colors love Drake, um, and it was all good. He was the he was the one true god in that situation. But 
What you're displaying there is a consciousness of the separation of people, people by their, you say culture, but race, culture, and color, they're all interlinked, they're of the same condition. And people have been separated by this, and that's where these spheres are born out of. And so I would, coming all the way maybe full circle back to the first question which I started out on, um, I would say there are people of color or brown people, let's talk about brown peoples here, who would only feel comfortable in say this hip hop cogs room because that's culturally what they know. That's what they've yeah. been bred or reinforced by maybe parenting or the friends or the people that they hang around their culture. Yep. Agreed. That this is what's comfortable. And as humans, we are uh, creatures of habit and comfortability and familiarity. Um, and so to them, that's where they would hang out. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what they want to do. And you're funneled down a the human experience of that can funnel you down in a certain direction to do certain things and be destined to repeat them again and again. And through that, I would say this is where I think I differ, at least from my experience. I thought, I guess I thought yours was maybe similar, but you seem to disagree. Uh, I would say I disagree on the fact that I've never felt beholden or consciously made a decision to be like, I don't want to just be this one room. I want to be able to step outside of this. Yeah, I agree. And also I, know all these other different things. I still went upstairs sometimes and sang. I still went to, you know, um, when, you know, when Cognito has a bad run DJs doing badly, I'm like, I'm going room one. I'm going to go check out this place. Or sometimes I would go with the people I'm hanging out with. I'll be like, let's go room one or let's go listen to some drum and bass music. So I'm very, you know, I, yeah, I would say I'm not like forced in a, I'm not confined in this space. If I want to do something different, like I only started going to galleries um, art galleries properly at uni because I thought you know what I've never really you know I've checked out a few with 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 school and the parents and stuff like that but you know let's just check out something different you know um, yeah agreed yeah 100% um, going back to the music for a second I would say I've been a, in a group of people where it's like a multicultural group and if that group has been into I know they go into this upstairs hippier, not hippier, like poppier sounds. Yeah. I've seen an aversion to, or aversion from like brown people, colored people and being like, what is this whackness? This isn't, oh, yeah. this isn't my space. This is, yeah. and so therefore you can see they're physically uncomfortable. They feel more, yeah, they feel um, more comfortable. And in it. that same regard, I've been into the brown or the black space and seen white people just be like, I don't really know how to act in here. This, this, next, this next song has turned way too urban and for so, me. And like, so like, guys, I need to leave because I don't know. And I think that's kind of the difference of spheres. Like there's places where people don't operate within them because whether they've never been conditioned to. Or yeah, decided, it's, more, it's definitely more conditioned. But they've also not made the decision to open their mind to want to discover that to be like actually you know what i don't know this so let me go into it and figure it out but how do you know to, how do you know to go into that door if you don't know the door's there well you just exemplified it yourself you made the decision at university to say you know what i never went into galleries and now i but have got only, a, i have now got a curiosity to want to go and check this out it's only because i made a 
an effort to search for stuff or I got I got introduced to new people to take me to stuff you know pancake day wasn't really a thing until like you know I think my mum would say stuff about pancake day and be like ah it's okay and then we would meet you know um Sophie and Loughborough people John they were like it's Tuesday it's, we've got to have a pancake like they're proper serious yeah. about it so it's only then would you it's only from meeting other people have I been shown new things well this is where is I good think thing we about come also then back to assimilation I think assimilation as being the outsiders we are taught a theme of being like a responsibility to adapt to the wider space but there maybe isn't necessarily that same onus on the wider space to either want or any sort of desire to be like you know what i want to find out about what this new smaller weird thing is this I, niche no, which is coming I, I would i think there's the tolerance in england is way way bigger like compared to other countries people, no, who, for people, sure. people who i've spoken to who's like oh i live in this country and i and i feel that you know i don't really i feel a bit isolated I think we're pretty good. I think we're very good. I think we're probably the best country in terms of um, encouraging other people's cultures to dilute into the English uh, culture now, like 100%. Number one, you know, chicken tikka masala is definitely proof of it being the number one food in there. It's definitely like, obviously they've, 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 they've transferred it, but there's so much other stuff now where, you know, the Turkish and Greek dining has affected our our lives english lives completely i think i think everyone's been more aware of it it's i think it's really i think it's really good do we accept all of the culture part no that's not possible um do we expect them to make more of an effort i don't think so i don't think they should like obviously if, they, if it interests them food and stuff like that there's going to be the same thing for any when you bring when you bring a minority like minority uh, culture into a majority culture i think it's a bit um, you know, you're up your own ass when you think now you must accept me for all my rules in the in this thing, and you must treat me like this. I was like, well, if you if you wanted to be treated like that, why don't you just stay in your own country? Why did you leave? <sighs> Mic drop. Um, it's half. This is also a tricky one because, again, neither of us are what I would say the typical brown experience. But, so I would like, it, it would also be almost be informative to see somebody who is, exists heavily within a brown sphere. Yeah, And true. their experience might be more critical. And they'd be like, these are specific examples where I've experienced racism. Well, I, well, I think we've, I've, like, even I've experienced racism in, in, in like, you can't... Um, but for some people, it forms a the very, way in which yeah. they, it becomes a part of their identity. It's quite of, traumatic yeah. if you don't, if you if you view it, if you if it if it's really bad, it can be very traumatic. And I can I can understand. And if you're not reflective on what happens, like I think once I think when I was younger, seven, maybe seven or eight, someone called me like a packy or something like that on in on the way to school. And I think it was just maybe the way my parents did, or maybe the way my other friends were acting. They're like, he's that one guy is just an idiot. But I guess you know if you go back a, f a certain enough years, like in the seventies or sixties, racism probably was a lot more higher there or, or, or ignorance was probably higher there. So I can see like a whole generation being a bit more, a few people just being a bit more like hardened and then passing that hardening onto their children. So, and then keeping more traditional, but yeah, but we've met people. We know a lot of people who are more like classic, uh, traditional kind of Asian and proud and, 
and that's cool. And I'm, it's, I'm not saying that I'm ashamed of being, uh, I'm not saying that I'm being ashamed of being Mauritian or anything like that, but it's just, uh, I've kind of pulled away uh, via my choices. But you, we, we've, we can, you know, we, you could bring someone in for your next episode to talk about it, but it's just more the fact that you, we know we can, we, we can get a sense of, of what kind of life they're living. And I think they're generally happy with the life that they're living in. Who's that? Like when you see people who are more, uh, more traditionalist when we talk about in terms of the classic brown guy, when mm-hmm. you think of that more uh, tradition, they probably, you know, where, brown, arranged where marriage, brownness is their identity. Arranged, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, they've they've done a lot of things that they would normally do if they were in India. So like their their choices or their life hasn't really changed that much. And that happens a lot. Like, you know, first generation people did that a lot. There's goodness, I don't even know how many generations of folks there are from India, like how many generations down. But I'm sure there's like a strong generation there's there's a few people in there that are like, Yep, we're just we're Indian, like and proud traditionally Indian, but we're born in England. That's all that's all it is. They still follow the rules and everything like that, but they're proud of their they're very attached to their heritage you know, be it a clan or what they do, how they eat. Do they always eat, like, I'm, I'm thinking like food. Do they always eat Indian food every every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? They might do like, ooh, Friday, fish fish and chips. Uh, let's do it, guys, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree. I don't think it's wrong. Like, you choose the existence that you want to have. You find, like, life is a thing that you kind of have to get through. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we, uh, that's got. That's, that's still turning into depressing talk now. It's, uh, I think there are choice in terms of your choices. Um, no, but like objectively, we it's, have, we it's have, a period of time, and you go from point A to point B, and you make your way through it, and you navigate it. Yeah, and okay. I don't think it's wrong that somebody chooses their own way of life. But is it right? <laughs> I would say. I mean, if I'm being honest. You, you're not a fan. That's the reason why you. Personally, that's the reason why you left. Well, no, I I would or say like, I don't think it's quote unquote correct because my mo, my my tenet as a person is we're all better together and we're better with multiculturality. We're better with exchange of idea. We're better when people take to one another. We're better when we go out of our way to help others and bring them in. And also we're better when we step out of our comfort zones to go and approach other people. Um, But in that same regard, I'm not mad if your life circumstances, your, your choices say, you know what? I've been bred either by my patriarchs and my matriarchs to identify with this specific culture. And I've been told this is what I should be. This is how I should live. This is what I should do. And it's given me structure and and a, a code of ethics and a way of life to stand by and live by. They've given me a template to live by and I'm just going to go by and do that. Yeah, and I think there's more cultures. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like right now, classic roadmen. Uh, you've got white, black and brown roadmen kind of situations, but they're, you know, a, a lot of the, from my experiences and from what I've noticed that, you know, a lot of, a lot of black and brown people tend to like their cars and do their own thing there. And, 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 you know, like in terms of, you know, showing off more and being more, um, ego, like boasting it, uh, that's, that's, I'm just talking about in that, in that region of people, 
yeah, there's always going to be trends. Like nothing can be equal. You're not going to have like, oh, you know, now that we've got our population right now is what? How, how much would you say percentage wise is, is full of brown people in England? Should we just say 10% for the time being? Oh, or really? even, I don't think it's that low? I don't think it's, I, I, think, it, I, think, it's, I think it's that low. I think it might be even lower. But let's say it's 10% sure. brown people in all, in all of England. You're not going to suddenly expect in, in 20 or 30 years that there's going to be 10% of people who like country, 10% of people who, you know, live in every single area of the village, 10% of people who like doing this, you know, oh, these guys are fully assimilated into, into England. But that's because, because you assimilating... Um, getting assimilated, you're you're naturally just changing the fabric of the country. Like you are now, um, and I use the chicken tikka masala as an example of of England. England has always been a very like open country to different situations. Now I think maybe like the big hype that we like is the Turkish bread. Like we know the bread is hype and everyone loves the Turkish bread. You know, I've gone to so many other Turkish places. I'm, I talk to sometimes I talk to them. Oh yeah, has the bread in like, way better than. Hovis, 50-50. But do you, do you think we there is certain leeway and room that either brown people have carved out for themselves or they have been, I think it's probably, I think both of them probably exist at the same time, carved out for themselves and therefore been afforded by the larger community, which happens to be the white sphere that existed here before. So you say chicken tikka masala or corner shop owners or taxi drivers yeah, okay these are spaces which they've been like you know what guys you can have that bit um I, I maybe 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 it's not a and maybe uh, i'm being cynical but maybe it's an element of that doesn't really threaten a way of our way of life or where we want to be and that kind of keeps you at a level here i think you say that but i think it's more the i think it's more it's not by choice i think it just comes up as as the generations have arrived, so maybe like the first generation, they said like low skilled, low skilled work. You know, my granddad was a taxi driver um, in England, and he and and I can understand why that became popular. Yeah, most I think most of the taxi drivers we've been in or Uber has been a brown guy or or, or I've mostly been brown guy. I'm going to say minority, just mostly being brown people. That the thing, but I think that's more um, culture. Those kind of cultures, like I'm going to choose this, and then they tell their friends, and then their friends go think the same way that if you flip it, because I think you think like, oh, are we? I think your question is more talking about, oh, are we just always constrained to these kind of jobs? But then when you flip it around, you're like, most doctors in surgeries that I see are right. are, are brown. So there's, I don't, I think there's there's uh, what was the word? You know when you have, but it doesn't necessarily just have to mean, not necessarily just menial. Um, like as you said, doctors and maybe something else are reinforced ideas. Lawyers, these are these concepts of what theoretically brown people were told: this is what you need to be or become. Oh, like the classic up. jokes that happen, like you're going to be an accountant, yes, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's I think it's really whether those, and I think it's just the creation of spheres and separatist spheres of spaces dominated by brown peoples, mm. and whether people then within that. What like mind your lane, like stay, yes. stay, stay out yes. of your lane. Whether back there's in your happy lane. ignorance of that being like, you know what, this is what I wanted to do. This is what happened. But then, what about the people who are like, you know what, I want to cross over. I don't want to just be this. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's. I understand you. Yeah, like I, I've always had the joke that you know my dad always wanted me to be an accountant or or, or something like that. The classic, like the parents upbringing, bringing like you know, or my dentist, she's brown. Her father was a dentist as well. So that kind of led the family thing. So they, 
you know, people in that circle view that as very prestigious. And the fact that they know more people and can talk to them about the job, the more likely you're going to get people to do that job. It's kind of, it's just exposure. You know, I've never, no one's ever said, oh yeah, when I went horse riding as a, as a, as a kid, you know, a brown person did that. They, they didn't do that. But I could definitely make jokes about, oh yeah, you played, you played San Andreas on PS2. Kind of, you'd stay indoors because I know that the general, you say like the general culture, like we're talking about the culture of like Indian, I'm, I'm going to say like Indian lifestyle because I'll, I'll put Mauritius in that circle. I think it's more exposure to that. Like when you say you want to mind your own lane, what do you think like, what do you think might be, can you give me an example of, of what might be difficult for your classic brown guy to enter into and please don't say acting because you got me there (laughs) (laughs) it's difficult for me to answer because my experience is not that of the typical experience and so I can't speak to it as an authority I've been down another path I've been on some John Locke shit of don't tell me what I can or can't do. So I've unpicked those things within myself to give myself some freedom to to not f- feel or want to become a victim. I, if, if something adverse happens to me, I don't think about, is it because I was brown? Yeah, and, so, and that's good. That's, the, that's a really good way of living. I think when we look at the greater world, I don't think we can ignore the fact that whether conscious or subconscious slash institutional racism or prejudice exists. And so That's another episode for another time. Maybe it's this one. <laughs> um, and so if I wanted to have that thought exercise of though, there could quite easily have been the reason that I did not get hired because I was Brown. It was, the, yes, it was interesting. I think, I think racism is a thing. Like there's, you know, if someone, if I see any act, you know, if I see a clear case of racism or someone thing, I will, I will say it. But I think when it's more, a bit more ambiguous, like you didn't get a job or um, I get ID'd, I get security ID'd at the airport, for example, are they choosing it because of validation reasons? And, you know, the good thing about job, you can ask for feedback, anything like that. At the end of the day, it's their choice mm-hmm. um, to, to choose well, it. Well, it's a, it's a place where, if sexism or racism exists, they don't have to own up to it. No. They can well, just be like, yeah, you're just not what I'm looking for. So it's it's a shady grey area, that one. It, it it might be a bit it might be a bit shadier, but I think it's 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 gone a lot clearer over the past, you know, fifty years, um, about how it how it's going through. Um there was like a study about how, you know, they had different companies. So this guy made two CVs. Same thing, same C V, but they just changed his name to make it mm-hmm. more Asian compared to a thing and he got more offers from the from the white name than the Asian 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 name and he and that was an interesting um thought process like how that interacts. Uh you know there might there could be ele- there could be an element to what you're saying. I just maybe there's the dream in me. I just don't think it has that much of an effect on my life. You know, it might be a bit of turbulence in on a plane. That that's 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 all. But I can understand if it's if it's very clear, I will definitely address it. So I will say this first, and then I will ask you the question. Um, My exposure to racism comes mostly from when I speak to people who are more integrated 
in and around the brown community. So in answer to your question from an hour ago, where am I from? Um, I grew up in and around Birmingham, just outside of Birmingham in West Bromwich, which is multicultural. There are stronger pockets of brown cultures, brown communities, uh, where they do kind of live in their pocket universes, um, where they are heavily reinforced by a way of life. And there is a conversation, there is a theme of a conversation that quite often they do jump to. They do go to this place of, you know what? This didn't happen because that person's being racist. Yeah. Or, um, you know what? White people don't like us or, and I would say it's also reinforced in the other way in the fact that I'm, I see it within brown communities where they take a, not an endearing look at the, it's, it's a, the us and them yeah. mindset. It's funny that. When and so they can be derogatory towards white people, towards black people, mm. towards even like the Pakistani community. They'd be quite racist. It's funny how the minorities can be quite racist, even though we tend to think that the white, the white person is being racist to the other cultures. Uh, I've seen like, I've experienced a lot of racism on the other side. Con, con, do the whites and it's not it's not really that checked by their communities um and i think that ultimately comes down to a human trait of survival and tribalism like one of the things that riddles the human experience is insecurity and yeah insecurity and wanting to survive so in order to self-protect and self-sustain you find a community and change. which... change. I think change is Yeah, and we're well. abject to change. So when you have those things which come together, um, you find a community which looks like you, that tells, that reinforces you the ideas that you're being told that you should know and want. Mm. And then you get in that group and you're sort of like, yes, we look together. We can look after each other. Everyone else is our enemy. They're yeah. the ones who are wrong. And then by telling or quoting other people as being wrong or different or broken, we can reinforce and make ourselves and validate ourselves. Um, sometimes you ever get that look sometimes where a random brown student will look at you and there'll be like extra moments like just constantly be like hey we're together in this <laughs> sometimes I'm just like why are you looking at me so long for <laughs> well the, the fun or I would say the fun one the thing that happens for me more so now is and this is where my experience is maybe one I've experienced as being more particular I don't feel I wholeheartedly belong on one side or the other, but could be seen as somebody whose brownness isn't their identity or my personality isn't built around being brown, but rather could be seen as somebody with Western ideas or white ideas because white culture is Western culture. But at the same time, not ashamed of the brownness of my skin or my cultural heritage being brown. And so I can sit within both spheres with a sort of sense of neutrality. And in terms of existing within white spheres, it kind of still always is that you're the brown person there. You are the minority you are the two people who are stepping into this restaurant which was otherwise 
populated by white people. Oh, what, what? you can join our you can join our ranks, but what is it? Classic Star Wars. You can join the Jedi Jedi Council, but you'll never have the rank of master. You never have the rank of master. <laughs> Less so that, but if we say social space frameworks are governed by democracy, then because of the historic inhabitants of those spaces, it has been designed for white people. And it is only recently seeing an influx of people of color and that system hasn't become mature yet to learn and adapt to these new people so it's kind of just interesting to observe the maturation of that space and because it hasn't had these people before you end up with you know what can be considered institutional racial insensitivities um and that doesn't and that's just that doesn't mean people are consciously being bad it just means Perhaps a cool self-awareness exercise for white listeners could be to think about their social or their friendship sphere and the tiers within those spheres and consider the tier of people who are the ones who impact and shape you the way that you are and they alleviate your ignorances and you learn things through them. How many of those people are people of color and if there isn't perhaps consider why that could be is it purely coincidental is it an inability to relate is it accessibility and then in the same regard in brown communities it may be more so on their side because i don't know whether it makes them feel bad about themselves or why an, are you buying clothes an, from cost for an inferiority complex is they notice you as being different to themselves and you're seen as, oh, it's heavily used as a, a derogatory slur for someone to be like a bounty or that person who wants to be white. Okay, like, for people who don't know what bounty is because no one eats bounty, he's talking about like coconut. Bounties are sick. Okay, this, this guy this guy, and my dad are the only two people that like to eat coconut chocolate. But yes, coconut, brown on the outside, white on the inside. Yeah, and it's kind of seen as you reject us and our culture because you love the white man. And I don't know if that's a colonial type thing of being like, you are rejecting us as our people to go and seek favor with our oppressive masters. Um, and so there's probably like an element of that as always being an outsider. But in between that, I have found... I always think that uh, that divide gets smaller and smaller every generation. I hope so. Because I think when I, when you look back at it, like, I, I always talk... To, you know, you, you'd ask me a while ago, but it's like the question's like, well, you often say, oh, where are you from? And I would say, oh, I'm from... I'm from London. Oh, I was like... And then the students, or like, even people like, well, where are you really from when I was younger? Like, but where are you really from? And I'm like, Middlesex Hospital in London? <laughs> And they would just be like, no, no, no. But I think, I think with time of generations, like, you know, you have those class, you know, you see a lot of like black people. You can be like, that guy is English. Like, you know, the, when you think, when you like the classic, uh, uh, black people. And then you can be like, yeah, he was born, raised in generations back. He probably came from, you know, he, he'll probably tell you the story about like, he came from like originally from Jamaica, like five generations back or something like that. But you can clearly see like he's English and nobody cares. I think that, that eventually will happen to us. Uh, it will just take a bit more time 
for us we'll just be like hey we're, we're, i'm english blah 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 so two questions i want to go down the first one that i wanted to ask was have you experienced racism yes but slightly and what were your racist experiences um when i look back i think yeah so when i was a bit younger the word packy was being thrown around but then eventually i think did did I, you ever personalize that did you take great offense to it uh no it was more like i was quite young at the time they're like packy i'm just like i'm not even from pakistan like that was the kind of situation like you're the idiot like i kind of turned it back on them like ha you're the idiot here you're trying to use a racial slur on me I'm not even from Pakistan or from that region at all, Bastardo. I'm from Mauritius. Um, and then that would be like, oh, where's Mauritius? That sounds interesting. That would, that's the kind of unique thing I had. Uh, and I think uh, as a teenager, I remember in sixth form and stuff like that, the other brown people like, oh, yeah, I'm a Paki. And then it would just be their word, the same way with the N-word with black people. It's just like our word. And even, even I was called that by other black people, you know, just because, they're my, because we're friends. You, 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 I can, you know, they can say it to me because it just turned, it just became a term of endearment. And I think when you're younger, you're like, um, cool. I like saying that word. Like, always, obviously, like I like, you know, you're using that word. But then when you get, I, I think when I get older, I'm like, does that word sh- should exist? I'm like, that's always on my mind. Um, should that word uh, be used? Um, it's like it's like Germans calling each other, hey Nazi, you know, like, and they that would never happen in their culture, one hundred percent. They're they're very anti anti like banter like that. But the, I like the fact that British has that banter. We like, you know what? I'm going to take what you get and then use it as a <laughs> as my own protective shield. Now, um, other sorts of racism, more like probably nothing. Um, nothing comes to mind. More, I think when I was like the occasional bullying that happened when I was tiny was, it's just probably just because maybe, maybe it was because I'm Brown, but really like, I think nobody really cared, um, in that kind of regard. London is quite, like I said, London is very, very, I mean, you can find elements of racism, but growing up where I grew grew up, wasn't really that much, that, that, that much racism. Or if I did, I probably laughed it off and just forgot about it. It didn't scar me. Um, how about you? I feel based on a lot of the th- the themes or the stories that you end up hearing a lot of brown people talk about more. So there's, you hear them talking a lot more about racism. And then I look at my own experience and I can't feel like I've had too many or significant incidences of racism to... So my experience in my, in my head, I'm like, does racism, I mean, racism exists, but because I've never experienced, does it actually exist? Or is people having the same experience as I am, mm. but they're blowing it up further because they want to create that narrative? Like, I've never been, I've, 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 there are, I think there are racist attacks happening. No, for sure. Uh, you know, like if someone says like, I got attacked, you know, or Obama got attacked by five white people. Like you can be like, yeah, probably, probably, <laughs> probably, probably. I can't say definitely, but probably race. It was like a racist, at- uh, a racist attack. So there's definitely things like that. That never really happened to me. Um, maybe like words. Probably words have become the new kind of forte because nobody wants to assault anyone. Uh, I think <laughs> due to the racism, s- the strongest quotes act of racism I have received is go back to India. 
or uh, again, so what I've probably had, I've probably been called a packy. I've probably had like those things thrown out, but I never really took them as they're just slurs. It's like if somebody just called you a prick. Yeah, or it's, like, it's it's that's just the thing that yeah. they would say to you because they want to hurt you, not necessarily because they truly believe they it. They truly hate the skin. Yeah, and like, I, like I never, and I never personalized it. I was just like, okay, that's the thing that they go to and say. But I think it's and more. I, I think it's more racial if, than you think. I think it's more maybe. racial than you think. Well, this and this is because why they would have just called you a prick, then wouldn't they? They wouldn't maybe. call you a packy. They, they, it's 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 but prick you, with people, added added bit of say the thing racial tension. If they want to hurt you, they say the thing that they think they know can hurt you. Um, so I've never really had too much racist experience, which is maybe why I've been able to head on down the path that I've head on. I've been called a dickhead more time than I've been called yeah. a packy. <laughs> um, like the one experience I've probably experienced is, um, I think it was actually the two of us and we were in the United States somewhere. And we, I think we had parked the car up and we were walking into a bar to meet our two friends who were in there, two white friends, they were already sat inside. And then we were the two brown people walking into this place. And I think maybe a bunch of half drunken white people were also walking into that club. I don't know if it was like, look at those guys, but I, just, I remember clearly a, a woman looking at us and just being like, uh. Clutching her pull. She was Clutching like, her she was like uh. uh. Like it was a scoff. Uh. Okay. Yeah, fair. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I wasn't heartbroken by it. And again, it was that idea of, I was just like, okay, that's them. That's what they want to do. That's how they feel. That's and how I, they want to act. And I wonder if... An, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I wonder if... An, I'm not going to say like, oh, that's always an okay thing to do. I wonder, or a thing that I think about is when you're quote unquote a victim um, or a racial uh, minority, whether you get bred into accepting microaggressions as normal and okay and you're just sort of like well i i have to learn how to accept these and get on with them and okay if we're assuming whether that, that's right or wrong yeah, definition of microaggression might be a bit hard to counter but i think like things like that like that example if someone's going to do that i can't change that person but i can change myself and how i and how i view it that's how basically how i how i see the world and I can maybe, if I want to, they're not worth my time right now. Like at that moment, if they, if I did notice it, I'll be like, I'm going to go chill out with these two guys. And if they do see, like maybe they do see, you know, they, you know, that in that instant, maybe they do see brown people as inferior or as mm -hmm. dirty looking because maybe because they're brown or whatever. At the end of the day, that's their freedom of speech kind of thing that's what they if they want to think like that they can think like that they're they're wrong but if they want to think like that that's that's i'm just gonna just show it in actions and i probably drank too much there and they showed them like hey i can be fun but it's in it's not a uh i'm not justified to do things based on what other people think of me you know it's like the only thing i think the only thing that does that if people who i care about what their thoughts are so like parents you friends if like when they talk to me like oh i don't think that's that it makes me reflect more but if some random wanker is just saying something like that and that's happened that's happened okay when you bring that thing that's happened a lot more times than usual um that's happened a lot more times than usual but i think when it comes to how you view it if you're going to be 
the world is a the world is a cruel place. If you're going to be, you know, you know, I know we're talking about like culture and color and clash, but you could be offended by anything. You know, something that comes in. You know, people look at you wearing braids or something like that. You know. Do you think being a person of color makes it harder? I think being a person of like right now in our situation just makes our tolerance a lot larger, which is great. It makes you more reflective and empathetic on other people, which is level up plus, you know, in that kind of skill tree. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing. I'm less, you know, I'm more less likely to be less ignorant. Um, you know, I'll still call a, you know, a wanker, a wanker, be a white, Iranian, black dude. I'll still, you know, if he's acting like an idiot, I'll still, like, I'll still say it. Um, and I'm not saying those demographics don't exist, but I think it makes you more aware of the world, which is a really nice thing. Like, you know, I think, and I think there's a lot of people who are generally interested in your culture, but don't want to sound, um, you know, there's a lot of like the classic white guilt kind of thing. People feel a bit uneasy. It exists. Uh, okay. Uh, but, but maybe it does in some form, but I think when it comes to people just want to talk about like haha like or they want to make a joke about a cultural change and i'm just there be like it's okay you can make that joke i mean like things like that it's it's funny you get you get you remember like when tim used to make like our friend tim used to make a joke he'll be like look at you and be like is that okay or am i too racist (laughs) but interesting about that one was he was genuinely learning about how to be around brown people for the first time and learning about okay this is my personality having jokes mm-hmm. is there what's what's the sensitivity line is it okay i can say this is it not okay and i think part of that is also from the minority side we're having this opportunity to be able to to shape and form uh, this reverse assimilation where the majority are saying, okay, let us learn on how to be better around you. And then what you're saying, white people are feeling maybe a little bit apprehensive yeah. of being ignorant. And so they're like, oh, can I ask this question? Can I not ask this question? And I don't think it helps the but then relationships. It also, adds to the, it also adds to the isolation as well. So if you were in a pub or something, or, or, or something, and you were talking to people and they had an interesting topic that you might want to talk about, and you'd be like, oh, hello, you know, oh, by the way, blah, blah, about the football. Be like, just to just talk about the football and you just wanted to say something. Oh, actually, this striker is really good, you know. You know, you're, I'm trying to erode, you know, I'm trying to erode that kind of thing. In, uh, animosity, like, not animosity, sorry, the um, insecurity about it. Because people will feel bad, like, oh, can I, can I talk to you about this? Or can I say, and, and there's a lot of things where, like, you know, you see, like, a if, 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 if you're in a room of white person, like, let's say 100 white people or 10 white people and one there's one brown person, and the one brown person is clearly saying bullshit. Mm-hmm. There's like a more of a delay to say, by the way, that's bullshit, you know, in some circles. You understand what I'm saying? Because they feel like more like, oh, am I, uh, is it, am I, is, is he, is it, am I attacking the argument here? Or am I attacking him as a person, you know, like, as, as, and he's going to be taken offended and scream racism. Like, can't, there's that kind of insecurity there, which I think adds to the whole, well, I'm not going to talk to them anyway. Well, this is where I think I have taken a responsibility or play a role. And it sounds like you have at the same time. And I think quite a lot of brown people do as well is there's this putting at ease of people and saying, you know what? It's okay to talk about this. You can ask questions. You can say this. 
and in I've had pe- lots of people say to me like, I don't want to cause offense. I don't want yeah. to do this. I Offen- just, offense is I, the big I, one. I, I just don't want, I don't want to be off basis. Like, can I ask you about this? Well, um, you know me, I'm quite just open, honest. Like, yeah, just say what you say what you want to say. But this is why I find it. This is why I'm happy that you brought up that I the notion of you said brownness has also been or being brown has been advantageous because it's made you be a catalyst or a conduit between these two separate worlds. Mm, I like being a catalyst, a bridge, as we said before, bridge between the two worlds. Yeah, and conduit sounds great as well. Oh, God, so many good words you're bringing out there, Jamie. And being able to bring both sides together to connect them, being the bridge of assimilation. Um, Cause we are stronger together. I understand like there's a thing that we had last week about the theme of this, the theme of the week is all about diversity and it was about, cool. it was about science diversity, like biodiversity, but they linked it to um, social diversity in around people and everything like that. And some of the quotes they were saying was very specific. And I'm just thinking, what kind of diversity are we talking about here? Because um, in terms of diversity, we can be we can have we can be diverse in terms of our activities, our hobbies, our political interest, but we need to be we we need to have a solidarity b- between all of us when it comes to key issues like or key things in life that like that makes you I, in the way I'm going to call it like British values in, in for, for the time being in terms of British values because if you're all splintered how is a country a country you know we might we might disagree with um who it's like it's like playing a football game you know you're, you you play a football game you might think this team's better than this team and they play but at the end of the day you all appreciate that it was a good game and it was you know, it, it was all respectable, shaking hands, something like that. The same thing in terms of like divisions, you can disagree. I could disagree. You know, you, I know we have different political disagreements or anything like that, but at least at the end of the day, we're like, we're, we're do, we respect each other's freedom of opinion, freedom of speech to talk about that. We both accept that where, you know, the, that's where the culture clash of cultures, where they, someone might come from a country where freedom, freedom of speech isn't a thing. So like you said, that's a really bad kind of situation. So I think in terms of, talking about different cultures i think that's why england's really good very very tolerant country aka the best one of the best countries in there um in terms of tolerance and i think we're a good i I think i think also you know i think also they're a bit they might be a bit too lenient on some things but we'll talk about that on different on a different podcast if that if that comes up and if, if, if i'm talking about it but in terms of me being a brown guy um and I think I think I think you know I think I noticed as a teacher as well, being a brown teacher, you tend to see things a bit differently um, as well. Well, I th- kids are unfiltered. I mean, I guess I don't kids. You're not with kids that that young. Uh, not not. But the secondary school is you would see these opinions being raised more, questions being raised more at that age period from eleven to eighteen. Questions about. Uh, maybe not about race per se, but like more comfortability. Like maybe they they won't they they won't be super blunt. There's some some will be, but other people will just be more at ease. Maybe like, especially like we I remember we had one student, um, who, uh, a black student, uh, situation. But then when I started teaching, I was like the co-tutor for it. And even the teacher said like, oh, when he talks to you, compared to when he talks to me, it's it's different. And I'm just like, oh, how is it different? Like, because I, he, and he said his thing, it's just because you're different singular. And the fact that he sees you as a teacher, 
he knows like there's obviously that kind of merit like oh yeah that's fine he can be a bit more chilled out and obviously skin the color is not the major factor it's like age as well i'm a lot this this guy teaches in his 50s 60s and i'm and i'm in my 20s kind of situation so obviously there's that difference as well but it's all all that combination is a factor to how people talk to you in school and everything like that you know some students are more effective you know my physics teacher was a brown physics teacher but my other physics teacher was just a white dude but i never really saw any difference between them we just had more jokes with the fact that when i was growing my beard out we're like haha you're starting to look like uh the physics teacher that's brown which is fair like it's a obvious it's an obvious um statement to make but i just completely forgot the question now what you were you asking me oh being the bridge and the conduit i think it's really nice uh did i feel i think when i was younger i probably felt it worse I probably felt when I was like teenage, early teenagers, I thought, well, God, which side do I choose? Which side do I pick? But then I realized, you know, I can be both and that's okay. Like I can be, I can, I can be a good old coconut. I'm kind of like a reverse coconut, I think, in a, in, in a, in a, in a certain You're way. white on the outside. I mean, maybe, maybe not that, maybe not like that exactly, but I think I'm white on the outside, maybe like culturally, cult, like, when we talk about white on the outside, not maybe physically, but in terms of, I do things which are quite like classic British stuff. Go to the pub, uh, you know, Fridays, everything. Oh, I, I say go to the pub, like we have a bad drinking problem, guys. Uh, but in terms of just like general, how maybe how I think is more, uh, I, I think more like classic, like liberal, uh, liberal, um, liberal. But I also think, I still have jokes. I understand like the traditions of my culture. Like you can get with the crowd. I can talk to older, older brown people, like 40 year olds, 50 year olds, just talk about stuff that they might feel more comfortable talking to because they're a bit, they normally are a lot more shy. I think that's the important, or that's probably a similar takeaway that I feel about myself. It's not a one color on the inside and one color at the outside. I'm, I know like a chocolate vanilla swirl both throughout and on the outside i i'm i don't want to feel limited in one sphere or another and i feel my advantage almost my advantage over both sides is that i know how to walk in both of those spheres i yeah. know how to talk about people um i i can be a bridge a conduit i have i arguably have more experience or more i have more information because I know two different worlds. Yeah. Um, and in that regard, or, or in that regard, I feel what what might have felt like a disadvantage when you're younger and mm. you're more insecure and you're trying to figure out yeah. where do I fit in? I think you go down the line a little bit and you're like, shit, this is actually really a strength for me because I get how these different people work. And so when you see tribalism, which is happening, you can say... No. Oh, yeah, like guys, do you know have you are you actually speaking to each other because these presumptions that you're making about this side isn't actually all that true. Yeah, like I I often I'm like I said I'm often judging individuals. I'm more of an individualistic person more than groups. I understand there is patterns in group behavior. I understand there's, you know, you, you could if you if you search for something in in terms of that, but and and we'll have we'll have to talk about it, but we'll have to talk about that subject by subject. And I think, I'm, am I fully like, you know, like the fact that I don't, I can't speak 
the home language, but I can understand it. So I'm not, maybe I'm not going to be a hundred. You can't have, you have, you have the best of both worlds, but you can't be fully in one and fully in the other, but that's okay. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite good in my Venn diagram uh, circle in there. And it's good that I can allow other people to be more comfortable to talk about stuff because that's what you want to do. Remember off like our friend, you know, John, he's like, I think he was a bit more shy. He's from a country called Brunei and I think he's more of a shy. Uh, just putting everyone on blast here. Like I, I am, yeah. Just sorry. Uh, I'm not robbing I'm not everyone of their privacy. I'm not even. I'm, it roped I'm, them all in. I'm not even going to say sorry. Uh, they're not even going to hear this, so it's fine. It's the first podcast. When we get famous after 100, well, then 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 we can be then we can put them on blast harder. Uh, but it's just more that he didn't want to. He was more happy with his Brunei friends, and that's when he was he was happy with that. And when maybe with opportunities to go, hey, like, do you want to go check out this place? Um, like an EDM night or something like that. He was probably he was more against it, even though I knew he liked that kind of music and you think so he was a bit more reserved. But it's not it's it's natural to be a bit more reserved. You gotta you gotta build tolerances for that. Then let's burrow down further into this rabbit hole. Do you think social class is a bigger issue than racism? Yes, I think I think class does. Or racial hierarchy. I think there will, there's always going to be racial tensions, but I think the the tension will always be there in some in some. Do you think they places. are intrinsically linked? Do I think no? Um, there's probably elements of it, but I think it's I think the I think in this country class issue is tends to be the bigger buzzword than race issues maybe in america they have it swapped around in other places but i think england is more about the class they're like low class middle class like i went to a have i got news for you i didn't realize i didn't realize you could go there for free like as long mm-hmm. as you line up early that was the 25 20, 25 years uh 26 you know 20, 28 years i was just thinking to myself oh my goodness i've never known that and then while i was lining up um we sit down there's like a comedian warming us up the comedian asked Oh, anyone here middle class? And people were just like shuffling and just like actually like physically um, uncomfortable with the fact that they were middle class. Like they were like yeah. a bit like they feel bad. And there I am just thinking like, I'm putting my, putting my hand up thinking, yeah, middle class, I made it. Woo! Uh, that's, kind of that's a really fun thread. And I'm glad that you got, and you linked a couple of things. Um, this is where I think the element of maybe white guilt or maybe even like social guilt comes in particularly to people of a certain level of intellect or affluence comes in because they feel guilty about their success yeah i think people and there's, yeah. there's this guiltiness of being like i mean i see it we see it in amongst i think people that you feel, you feel, i see it with bit amongst people that we're close to or i'm close to in there there's a little bit of a badness about being like oh shit i am middle class and the privileges yeah. that afford like the feel, economic freedom I think, like, you feel bad when you see a homeless person yeah and then you're doing well for yourself and then you give a you give a bit of change or something to them even though you know you have your i don't give change i only give food or something like that to them but that's, that's another deal uh but it's just the fact that like people just literally feel bad for doing well and i think that's what limits a lot of people from going to the top like from going higher, mm-hmm. they think middle class. And then for people it's like, I'm okay here. I'm okay. But if, you know, if you're really ambitious, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, millionaires came from low background, then then pushed all the way to higher. Like a lot, you know, if you look at the top hundred millionaires in England, 
a lot of them came from lower backgrounds, didn't they? For the most part, I think it's Poorer because middle classness is a comfy existence. You're born into that and you kind of have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. You it's might comfortable, have to but work. you also have that situation where you think to myself like, oh, should I, do I really need more money? Or do I really need more ambition or anything or anything like that? And I think the, the fact that people feel bad, like the fact that no one put that, no one in the goddamn studio, this was in Bournemouth, uh, just above Barnet, no one put their hand up. And I could definitely see people being like, oh, I'm not middle class. Would you say... I, I feel bad being middle class. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being middle class. But, would you say Have I Got News For You is liberally skewed? Yeah, of course. I think a lot of them, but the age range is 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 is, is very varied. As well. I would say, or my opinion, I think white guilt is born out of white liberals. I think it's because we, as a climate, as people, we are maybe leaning, particularly the liberals, we're leaning towards more socialist attitudes and being like taking care of other people and what advantages do yeah. I have over other True. people. Um, and so I think in that white people, particularly young ones or liberal ones now are thinking, yeah, colonialism or this or. The- yeah, they link they link stuff to a lot. But I've, I've, and they tend to forget because they weren't alive, the amount of stuff that their parents did, because you don't know, because, you know, I only knew my dad really when he was 40 and when I was 10, like having conversation with him. You don't really know. I don't I don't know. I don't re- mm-hmm. really know his life before that. Um, the same way with middle class people living in like uh, more richer areas in England. I don't know what the parents did or anything like that. Maybe they had an easier thing, but I think the amount of work they did to put them, they made, they made, they made choices. And I think people just feel bad when they look at other people that have made, have made poorer choices than them, both literally and figuratively in this, that that makes sense. Yeah. Pun intended uh, in terms of just how their life has gone. And, and it's, it's, it's normal to feel empathy or compassion towards you. I don't think you're human if you don't feel bad or slightly have a tingeness of have a tingeness of bads in there. But you can't then. I say you can't, but it's just so easy for people to feel bad that they're middle class. Like you know, yeah. they they don't want to be seen as, oh, we're we're pretty good. We're 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 pretty good. Like and and oh, we're pretty good. Well, I guess it's it, there's a sort of a a dance between like humility and. Mm. Uh, being aware of the less fortunate and being okay with it's this is a weird thing about society about the middle class about is the most celebrating stretched. your the, own success they get the most stretched out but i class. think that's also a byproduct of as a culture we tear down the people who achieve the most like if someone gets too big for their boots we tear them down or and i also think because there is this idea of the one percent at the top even though most of us what is it like we're in the upper 10% or the 1% or whatever it is globally. So there's this tinge of being like, Oh, I don't want to be grouped in with them. And so there's always a bigger fish. And so, but that's a, but the fun thing that you said was, is that I've made it. Um, And that I feel is also linked to what you were saying about wanting to make the choice to seek out galleries when you didn't have that experience. Uh, Mm. What was that thought? What was that thought process? I think it was more for um, as a teenager. Yeah, I think when you're younger, and I think this is more not just a a culture thing. I just think more of an age thing. Galleries don't interest you that much. I, you know, um, most galleries is centered towards young adults and older. Um, you know, there are some there are some cool Lego galleries and stuff like that which get you interested in. 
But I remember like we went to, you know, me, mum mum and dad and uh, my sister used to take, we used to go to like the National History Museum now and then in central London, have a look at that. It would be very interesting. And I was more interested in the science museums because that got my interest more. And I think the science museum is more kiddie friendly mm-hmm. uh, because there's just more things that they can access. But like National History Museum or different art galleries bored the hell out of me and 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 some still do so i remember um being 16 years old went to new york and we went to the um oh what was that guggenheim guggenheim um building you know museum this is basically the the way i only know the guggenheim building when i was 16 was i in a uh, men in black that was the scene where will smith was running in the first scene where he sure. sees the alien that's how i knew about the building so if movies was my thing i was like oh, yeah I'd definitely check it out do the run uh and that that'd be great and then when I was there, it was abstract art. So it didn't really interest me. Abstract art doesn't really interest me that much. So I got really bored of that. But that was the age where I was thinking, oh, like, you know, when you turn 16, 17, you're getting a bit older. You're thinking, oh, I can I can try to think and develop my mind a bit. And then when you get to uni, uh, you know, I met you guys and everyone. And then that explored me. Oh, we can check out this gallery. I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll check out this gallery. I'm a bit older now. And I think that's given me a more, uh, a better sense of things. Now, when you compare it to childhood, if I talk to people living where I lived, brown, black or white people, and I said, oh, did you check out these galleries? And then you, when we went to uni and you talk to people who might have come from posher areas, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, my, my, you know, my parents took me to, to this place once every week. Every, or like we went to, oh, every time there was a new exhibition opening, we had to uh, check out the Tate, oh, the good old Tate modern. Everybody loves Tate. And I'm just like... I, I I was like Tate who who when I I think when I was like twenty twenty one I I still didn't know what Tate is I only learned that from you kind of situation so it's like different experiences in my life they would be more experienced to that so yeah I think it does give you um a better insight into it so the culture the culture from being middle class leads you to better options like instead of going to McDonald's and having Krispy Kreme well <laughs> this is the, the the idea of culture quote unquote um. At least, I mean, what you're saying there, your experience of you went to certain museums with your family while you were younger. And I think that is a product of, I think, living in London and also knowing your parents, or at least having sat down with them a little bit. There is a certain, they were culturally, or at least your mom was culturally uh, curious herself. And so that kind of rubbed off on you or or at least she gave you that access. Whereas, and so speaking for myself growing up in somewhere like West Bromwich, which is not London, it's arguably more rural, a little bit more desolate, not progressed. Um, and coming from what we're saying, immigrant culture, a culture, which is lower down in the social order, lower access to wealth, where you're spending your time to earn money and there's not really the free time afforded to you by being middle class. I also never went to galleries. There was never a conversation between my friends in and around there of being like, let's spend time and go to a gallery. A gallery opened in West Bromwich in the city center. Most people scoffed at it and I still never visited it. I probably didn't even begin to think about the idea of going to a gallery or it seemed interesting until I was 17, 18, 19. Um, 
and I wonder, or, and I guess the thing that I'm still reckoning with, or I don't know if I've reckoned within me is, was that a process of me, quote unquote, trying to whiten myself or access mm. to a culture which wasn't my own or this ambition of wanting to to rise up the scale? I think it's more like your horizon. When you get to that age, when you get a bit older, your horizons expand and then you realize you can make the choices that you want to make. Mm-hmm. Like, um, But like economic freedom afforded that. So yeah, yeah, our parents yeah. working more meant we are more established as a culture and a family. Therefore, I have more economic freedom. With that economic freedom, I was then afforded not have to go work 100 hours to make ends meet to help the family. I was afforded a thing. So I think that's why... Like, I think, it's more I think this, that's why yeah. we celebrate this idea now. We were like, shit, I'm living a middle-class life where we're like... It, we would celebrate it the as a point The term bougie of, in London is, is just, uh, you know, I believe it's come up because of that of that example that sure. people have like... Are living that you know that bourgeois well, can't pronounce it bourgeoisie bourgeois yeah bourgeoisie life in that kind of situation, and people want to you know obviously people love their glamour and stuff like that, but people are just pulling up the chain and and they want to live live like that and they choose to live that kind of life and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with being that having that ambition you know we go to like you know my my mum and dad like you know my mum and dad like well, specifically my mum she likes to buy the newest things whether whether she can use it or not is a different thing or, or thing or not but you know the newest phone or the newest thing that's a that's a mindset that's that's and, that, and that's really good to have there's you know there's nothing wrong with that but it's also i think the thing of that is it's when i said culture in quote marks it's access to different culture because the lower let's say or the people who aren't middle class or lower down beneath that they still have a culture and so you said your experience of the Guggenheim was in movies. And so movies are a thing that people of the lower class take in as culture because that's the thing that they're more exposed to. They're exposed to, they're accessible to, which is prescribed or historically is one that they see more. It's, it's less expensive to go to. It's one that they feel more comfortable to access. Yeah, you can um, bring the whole family there. And also one of the things I remember hearing about this somewhere, uh, the concept of taste is actually one which is reserved for the middle class because when you're quote unquote at the lower class, you can only really afford the things which you can afford. And when which you're is, which is which makes which is common sense. Yeah. If you but, if but you, when you're at, and then when you're at the top, you have to afford the most expensive things because you have to show off your wealth. You have to let people know. Whereas the middle class, you have this freedom of being like, well, I may neither one of this or the other. Um, So I actually have freedom to be tasteful, to pick my aesthetic, to pick all of these things. You've got this freedom to do a thing. I think for upper class, when you're talking about like upper class region, I think, I don't think they're, I mean, there's potentially people to show off uh, like cars and stuff like that. But I think people just might, there are people just want to buy the cars I think your lifestyle just changes. Like you, there was that person. I've got his name now. The gambler. Um, you know the guy that everybody makes fun of because he has tiny legs. Uh, he's the poker di- poker guy. No idea. Uh, his name will, will 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 come across soon or later. But the thing that he said, what was interesting, was that his taste just got. They didn't get bigger per se because there's only so much you can do in a day. His taste didn't get wider. Like you can't slow down time. No, no matter how much money you got, imagine that. Imagine that. That'd be so cool. The more money you have, the more time you have. That's real power. But he said his, he just had his, his what was five star to him 
was normal. So when he would have breakfast, he would have breakfast in a five-star chef would cook him something amazing. It'd be great. To us, it would be like, oh my, you know, the food of the gods. But to him, it's just a breakfast. So I think it's, it's come to that. So when you reach, when you get so much money, you need to, there might be an aspect where you need to buy something or do something or change your lifestyle where you are constantly pushing yourself. And it might not be money value, but you're doing stuff that is pushing you higher. Like, you know, I'm going to go scuba diving in the desert. You know, I, you know like, I'm just saying like funny, like things like something ridiculous. That's why you get more ridiculous things in like Harrods is the, the stuff that you can buy in Harrods, like 12,000 for like a random broom, 12,000 pounds. I'm like, who would buy that? And they would say, yeah, people bought it because they have their lifestyle is de- definitely different to mine. So I'm just like, yeah, all right, go for it. It's your money. And also, the lower classes, that a culture that is available to them, uh, because they feel the quote-unquote oppression of feeling lower, they have to show their wealth off more in order to not feel lower class. That's why you do end up with people who end up buying more stuff or flashier stuff. Big TV. A bigger TV. The smaller, t- the yeah. smaller house you have, the bigger TV and you have. And what does that remind you of? Like, brown culture, consumable electronics or cars or houses is a thing that we concentrate on in being like, we need to buy a thing or we've got some wealth. What should we get? Let's get a bigger TV or a new car or a thing. Let's have a flashier phone. Let's have bigger electronics. I think that's... I think that's- I can understand your from like a brown perspective. I think that's just a normal human perspective as well. Like a, a normal a normal human thing. It's like, oh, we got this mo- we got this money. Why don't we buy? I think that's a certain character characteristic trait in in people. Because you have some people that don't really care. You have some people that do care a lot, and you have some people that care too much in that kind of regard with TVs and everything and everything like that. And I think it's more. I think it's more than when we're li- when you're trying to link it to this topic. I think there's a lot more other factors in play. So it's very hard to just talk about it individually. But I will agree with the fact that um, if you have less money, you are going to spend things at a cheaper thing. So movies, movies, you'll go to movies rather than, you're more likely to go to movies rather than theatres. Well, I think it it was, yes, it's the idea. I've never been to, I only went to a theatre in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's certain cultures. And when I say cultures, I mean like cultural activities which feel accessible to only the middle class and above. Um, when you say accessible, um, you you don't mean accessible. Like they could go to a theatre if they wanted to, or they could go yeah. to something a bit high pricey. It's just more... Um, they, either, they either can't afford it or there's this ingrainedness, this complex of being like, I don't belong. So that's that's definitely a thing in galleries. I think that's almost been a thing... I maybe even watched in you a little bit of in these spaces and being like, okay, there's this kind of person in there. And maybe I am not the typical person to be in here. And that's generally why you don't get, or or there seems to be this intimidation factor where lots of lower class people don't feel like they can go to galleries or it's not designed to be conducive to them. Okay. I can understand in terms of, I understand what you guys. I've been, I've been in, I've been in certain rooms where it's just like this is not my vibe, which is, which is fair. Like, and there be some galleries I've been to, which is just like, man, these people have their heads so up their own ass, kind of situation with, with kind of things. Because, but that's more, maybe not people, more, more like just 
they're more artsy than me. They're just more, they just have a thing. Like if I, if I talk to them, like it's, it's, it's the same way when I go to a, um, go to the pub and people are talking about football. I'll be like, yeah, I understand football. I understand a little bit, a bit of thing, but I'm not like fully integrated. Like, and my friends um, from my school, uh, like from my secondary school, they love their football and they'll talk about all the strikers, all the mm -hmm. things like that. You know, you're a good football person in terms of like, you, you can have a full on conversation and I'll be listening same way. They'll be the same similar be in the art gallery. I'll be present, but I wouldn't be like completely in the, in, in the ingrained because I just don't have the knowledge to access it. So and that's that's okay with me. I'm just I'm just here like trying to learn. But then I think the thing or the to link this back to this is those people who do exist in those spheres generally look like what? Uh what? Like people who are talking about the football or something. Uh, like in galleries or theater or all of these things which are in a uh in my opinion like how in, I do them. um have I got news for you crowd? Um, are you talking about in terms of people, or just how they act? Uh, they, they act I'm bit, getting at the point. What liberal, of, liberal? Are they all predominantly white? Yeah, but it's more the but. And so I think this comes to that factor of the access to wealth at this moment in time is heavily held by. But if you reversed it, so if you went to Kenya, for example, and you went to like a lot of. Um, museums in kenya for example and you thought and you spoke to those people it would be like those people if you were to talk to them they would be in the same kind of class regime as a lot of the people who go to um museums here it's a it's a different kind of um you go to you don't go to you don't go to museums the same way you go to a cinema or anything like that it doesn't you know it, it only it, you, you only get engaged with that at a certain point of time and if you choose to do it it's not like it's the same way that with people who go rock climbing, for example, you choose to do it um, in, in that kind of scene. And, you know, I see families of rock climbers as well. So I think it's more like choice. Anything like that. you might not be interested in, it, it's in that. choice, but I think it's also linked to your social class or your economic class standard. Yes, those equivalent people in Kenya are doing that thing. So just because Ken, let's say Kenya's. 95% black generalization. Therefore, you're going to see black, black, black wherever you are up and down the scale. Uh, but in this country, you're seeing white people do richer things and colored people do quote unquote poorer things. And so it almost feels that what we're saying is the discussion of race um, i mean it probably comes back to that question race is intrinsically linked to it's more of a class structural system yeah but i think that's more linking back to history and more you know we we you, we could go to the reasons why like a b c d e like why there's less people and we talked about we linked we linked to one of the factors of it being culture and people coming in low middle class um low class jobs and it takes a while for it to people to go up there. And also you can say that people just don't find museums that interesting. You know, the museums just generally just aren't that, doesn't get really packed that much. Do you think fast forward a hundred years, let's say we make it past Corona, um, hundred years. I don't want this to be my first and only recording. A like. uh, hundred years, assumed mm. by that point. A uh, hundred, are we assuming? People of color and brown people have climbed up the 
the ladder of wealth, uh, integration. Yeah. Well, I say integration, but yeah, the social class ladder yeah. because they've been here a number of more generations. They've generated more wealth. They do more things. You would then see more of these people in these yes. middle class spheres. Yes, I think that's fair. I think if nothing nothing changes, I think uh, there will be. Yeah, I think that will just naturally occur because you see that happening in America as well. So, do you think by part of that is white guilt is a pointless exercise because they're being guilty over something that they can't control? Yeah, it's not their fault yeah. because it's just a economic system. Yeah, I think there's lots of factors to play, but they never they played the. You know, a lot of a lot of uni students um, when we were at uni were playing the whole slavery in America or like British colonial system. You know, as much as we talk about the British colonial, I'm only going to mention this briefly. You know, you know there was some bad stuff. There was also a lot of good stuff uh, as well that happened as well, and that can be like that's a whole different topic. But I think there's a lot. A lot of people tend to look at the bad in stuff and then tie it to themselves because they are white themselves but then i often tell them like oh did you did you shoot a black man did you shoot a brown person when you were younger did you did you did you take someone out they're like no i was like i do you treat me the same way that you treat any other person if they don't say no to that then we have problems maybe it's an empathy exercise 100 it's it's, it's a, maybe it's an empathy exercise because let me ask you this do you think the position you have in society, uh, as a person, as a person between, as a bridge between brown and white, or maybe even black. Call like, me bright. Um, do you feel certain privileges and any guilt that that privilege affords you? Um, I think the main privilege was the fact you can you can put two communities together, or I I get more jokes or things between both worlds uh do i do i sense a privilege uh i think people tend to talk to me i think the way i talk people don't tend not to see the color if you know what i mean because i'm quite i just say things and i rather see character of people and people tend not to talk i never use the brown card i never use the in serious conversations you know or I might bring up the brown token card as a joke or, or something like that. Uh, and comedy is my friend. I've never seen it as a as a hindrance, like a big hindrance or even like a minor hindrance. I've never seen it as a... It's never helped me, you know, <laughs> help me with the dating scene or help me with... Uh, I think maybe it does as well. It's all, it's, it's, there's so much to consider. That's such, a, that's such a hard question to answer because it's so so many factors. If I look back like, oh yeah, when that happened... Was that because the brownness helped me? I I don't know. Um, you know, it's very it's very it, there's life is a lot more complicated in that kind of thing. Like obviously, job wise and work wise and how I interact with friends, it was all about me as a person. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. You as I, I think that's I think you might have a different idea. What's your What's your opinion on it? Um. So, I'm somebody who does quite a a bunch of introspective thoughts and maybe I veer down this side a little bit more. You think too much. And maybe this is a product of liberalism and this is kind of where perhaps because you choose a different... Code. Political thought system. We we don't go through the same 
thought processes. Um, I do feel, or I, I get conflicted a little bit because even though I'm quote unquote a minority, I don't necessarily feel I've had the extreme of the hardships mm. of people of a minority, like people who talk about feeling acts of racism, who feel held back, who feel... Um, and often the people, Im- the people who do voice that, you know, the people who often are fighting against that, haven't really experienced it themselves. I mean, but I, I wouldn't, I, unless I see that yeah. truly, and like I was able to watch their experience, I, I don't feel it's, I don't think I can call them out and be like, no, no you're no. wrong. No, I, I, mean, I wouldn't start there. That wouldn't be my first port of call. Um, and then also, it depends what they say after that. And also seeing the way in which I'm treated or how white people relate to myself. Um, because my skin shade is lighter than the average brown person. I sometimes pass and having a Western name, I can pass as being seen as not immediately brown Mm. and how much that has informed my experience and how the Western world has taken to me as opposed to say as Mm. Hassan, who is a dark... Mohammed Mahoub. Mohammed Mahoub did. Who like might be darker in skin tone. Yeah. And there's lots of preconceived notions and way people act with them, whether they are nice. And that gives me a certain amount of... Or it gives... There's a thought exercise of guilt. And I don't know if I accept that guilt or not, but I definitely do catch myself in moments of thinking about, do I get it easy? And when you think about, do I get it easy? I think that's kind of maybe the same thought process which white guilt is born out of. Mm, Maybe. Yeah, Um, yeah, maybe. And also the economic point, because I grew up in West Bromwich, but I was afforded the ability, not because my parents were more rich necessarily by other ones, but because through their hard work, uh, they afforded me opportunities to move outside of that, have access to other things. I speak differently to people who are in West Bromwich. I, um, you, when, you have a different mindset. It's all about, it's all about the, like your but parents. Then, but then when people relate to me and they're like, oh, where are you? Or they're like, oh, you must be from London. You must be from, Surrey, you must be from mm. Hertfordshire. Like they associate me, city. they associate me to places which I considered more wealthy, um, and what that mindset means to how they relate to me because of that, as opposed to relate if they knew I was from West Bromwich, and they had an idea of that, whether they would therefore then treat me poorly or lesser because of that, and then what that therefore means in terms of how they actually treat people who sound like. They're Brummies who, Good old Brummies. who it, you're you're going on to you're leaning towards like fort crime or fort things and 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 to be honest, there you if you get into that thing, your your mind's going to explode. Um, I, I think it's more for me. I I, I, it, I just I don't beat myself up about it. It's but more I about try actions. to be self-aware of it. You can be self-aware. I think there's of a it. responsibility to always be self-aware. True, but I think I think when it comes to thoughts and a preconceived notion, they might have had a bad incident with a Bromley or with a few Bromleys when they were in Birmingham. So they might, you know, they might a guy from Liverpool might have not liked Birmingham because you know they got in a kerfuffle when they're watching a football fight or something. But then like that. am I? Am so I it's, just, it's all described on when they actually meet you. How do they actually treat you? I guess because you don't know all of that. So when somebody, I know you maybe see them be snarky or a microaggression about a brown person or like a typically brown person 
and more or less kind of through their actions what they're saying is actually no i don't mean that about you like i'm saying this but it's not about you you're okay you're one of the good ones you're one of the good ones um you're our token brownie (laughs) maybe maybe there's some truth and that then leads me into like (laughs) how like low-key racism does exist uh is it intrinsic within our society is it microaggressions and like i said like up until a couple of years ago i wasn't necessarily thinking about this because i wasn't looking for it but now this thought exercise of more self-awareness of trying to make some heads and tails of my identity as a brown person how it affects me um where i come from what does that mean how do people relate to other things i'm just trying to like take stock of it all Oh yeah, it's a good it's a good thought process to have. But speaking about brown tokens, Dev Patel, Dev, goddamn Patel, the sex machine himself. I think there's other. I think I'm, I'm trying to think of other. There are a few others that point mind. I just don't know the name. But Dev Patel. Don't make me say the other one. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, Zayn Malik. Oh, I was thinking like actors. I was thinking oh, okay. of brown actors. No, but in general, like so. I guess what we're speaking about is let's let's call this like dating or the sexual value of yeah, brown we're, men. We're, we need to yeah, we've calmed down on the on the on the hard let's, let's end, stuff. Yeah, we're, let's ending, end we're, on we're ending point. on some nice dessert style thinking <laughs> right now. We're gonna we're gonna fatten you up with some good old you know, just some good old vibes. Um So to put that into context. Uh, we both, or I may have started this one off. I'm, I'm, I'm a. You definitely started this <laughs> off. I, it never entered my mind I'm, until you said it. Well, I'm a thought process provocateur. Um, so you inception I just, I, my goddamn I f- mind. I find I find it fascinating how, um, yeah, this I or and maybe it's because relating my own experience to this as well. And while I don't necessarily attribute this to racism. I also call more preference. Let's let's call it yeah. more more yeah. sexual preference. Sure, let's go with that because um, it sounds less malicious. It it is less malicious. Okay, <laughs> microaggressions. Um, Don't believe in it. The sexual value of brown people, or particularly brown men in society, and pretty good, pretty good. Okay, then well. <laughs> Well, let's talk about De- like Dev Patel is the only person I can think of who doesn't exist in a Bangra sphere, who is not part of the Bollywood vibe. He is somebody who operates in a white sphere, who has been given some sexual value or afforded sexual value and been celebrated as being attractive and desirable but even then it was only like for like a quick minute when, so, when so, he was at the height of his power. So the main reason this conversation came up is um, we were having a chat about how we were talking about, I think we just, I think initially it was about Idris Elba becoming the new James Bond. And then we were just, and then I think that merged into what other actors are there that like, you know, are really good for, for, for males, like sex appeal um, to males or anything like that. And then we came to the conversation where Jamie was like thinking, there's only one brown guy that represents us in the, when you think of Hollywood A-listers. I mean, or, correct me if I'm wrong. No, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know yet. I, again, You or anybody else. Like, I can't think of too many other people. And I say this as, so when people talk about like the idea of, 
or women talking about representation in the media, uh, trans people. Uh, I'm not saying brown people per se. We're last in the bucket. We're last in the bucket yeah, because like, we're not. We're we're, we're very tolerable. Uh, we're very we're too. We're too but nuts. like in terms of when I think about, and this wasn't a thing that I ever did growing up. In terms of I didn't see somebody the shade, same shade as me on television. No. Therefore, I couldn't relate. I loved all that you shit either like, way. Yeah, you, you become that character in a but, movie. You you want to become the main character. I guess it probably has derived more so from once entering the dating world. Yeah, I think it was the we were talking about the movie. Uh, so Dev Patel was in a movie called Lion, which is a very, um, a big movie per se, like a very big movie. And it's only then when, when Lion came out, did, I don't know, did my reaction with other people and interacting in the dating world peak up a little bit. It was kind oh, of- Oh really? You actually noticed the spike? A little bit, yeah. And I noticed a little bit. Oh it's, wow, you got fetishized. It's You're the same, living the dream. It's the same way that like, uh, uh, in in love for uni uh when matrix came out when we were talking to a few people when when, when, when did the, you go to university as in in 1999 2010 but a lot of the instructors were 10 years older than me so or older and, I see. and and they were saying when when matrix came out those those few years that matrix was massive the amount of subscriptions kung fu got because the whole ah, classic I scene see. i know kung fu so for the next five six years that became a massive thing oh, yeah culture impacts yeah. i guess yeah it does have an has impact. an impact on yeah. sexual value um, so yeah, like entering the dating world. And then I recently discovered somebody told me, I don't, I haven't fact checked this, but I'm taking it as truth. Um, okay. <laughs> Cause that's how we work. We're very <laughs> diligent here. Okay. Don't, we're not going to say we, we're just going to stick with Jamie here for the time. Well, being. I, I say that because it seems like it tracks. All Maybe right, I should check it. this at some point. Um, it. uh, when in reference to dating apps and the success oh, or yes. interaction interactability of people um somebody told me that br- black women and brown men met on the metric scale have the least hits or do worst off on dating apps and i was oh. like and in my head i was like that kind of I wouldn't say dating apps are like a, I wouldn't, it's the same way with like Twitter quotes and things. They, I wouldn't say they're a true representation of people everywhere, but, um, I would almost say yes, really? because dating mm. apps is a space where, as you said, preference, nobody has to be apologetic about their preference there. And there's no repercussions for them to say no to you on dating apps. So if anything, you're getting the truest form of their true ideas. Um, and I would kind of, I feel like that tracks in terms of, if you look at the sexualization of brown people within society or in the public eye, um, I can't, as you said, can't think of too many brown men. Dev Patel uh, is the one example. I think Indian women are more desired For sure. than Indian men. For sure. I well, think. women are, will always be sexually objectified. True, but I, I, I just uh, okay. Yeah. Also, they're seen that, as that quote unquote exotic. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna like, say no, no, yeah. I think women can speak to this better from their own experience, um, but women will never do poorly. I mean, apart from maybe evidently black women, uh, women will never do poorly on getting attention. Guys will give women yeah, all attention. Think, yeah, that's another. Yeah, that's another topic between uh, for another day. But I think yeah, you're right about the fact that representation in culture how it impacts your life in terms of like i just remember uh, just again just uh being on the airport uh going somewhere talking to these other teachers uh, not from another school 
I was like, oh yeah, my name's Dev. Oh, like Dev Patel from Lion. And I'm just like, yes, like Dev Patel from Lion that came out like last year. So there was a bit more buzz towards it. So, you know, I d- definitely use that to your advantage when the next, we've got to wait for the next film to come out and it's going to be a good one. There was that other movie that came out t- this year, like after, you know, the one where they forgot, um, everybody forgot the, what band was, uh, the Beatles. Everybody yeah, forgot yeah, the yeah. Beatles. That was a brown guy too. So maybe, but he wasn't like a big name yet. He was just the, well, I think the conspiracy three theory that I'm drilling down ride on the wave is if you look at different cultures of people, like the black man has had a long standing fetishite. They've been fetishized. Uh, stereotype, yeah, stereotypes. Well, like because of their physical statue esque, because of their sexual organs, because organs, organs, jeez, uh, because of the way in which um, historically, colonially, they were used as like they like fighting. They tools. they are the 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 cuck fantasy of being like your ownership and using of the black man, both as your, like your bed woman, just because you have ownership of them of, or or bed man, because you have ownership of them. So they're kind of, it's still kind of property esque and that's kind of weird and has its own thing attached to it. Interesting. Um, Interesting theory. All women. Just find them sexually attractive. All women will like, and that's not to say that they're tall. They're tall. It's not necessarily always for good reasons. For a lot of black people, they're tall, dark, and handsome. You know, that yeah, fits. The, like that's a thing that exists. You know, they're usually over six foot. Uh, um, most of them. So that's I say, I say I say that like I have like I have any idea. I've seen a lot of short black people as well. Like so, and for got which, that stereotype. And women have their own battle on their hands because they are dealing with more than one sexual organ from a man. They're. <laughs> they are having to deal with or reconcile the fact of getting so much attention and it isn't necessarily always sincere or like romantic and it's used for other reasons or they're being fetishized, being continuously sexualized. Being played. But I think that's, that's it. And that's, that's their battle that they're dealing with. Um, and I'm just out here like, guys, when's the brown people's going to get their thing? <laughs> like I said, like we have to do it. That's all we have to do. We've got um, to rise up. So the question I wanted to ask you was, do you think you have to try harder to be found attractive given that you're a brown man? It's also a hard question to answer because you don't have a white experience to compare it to. I think, and I'm going to use a lot of, I think most of my experiences like, I'm going to try and be a bit more tactical and, and try to... So I used to be a bartender um, at Loughborough Uni. And then... So that gave me a good insight on... You could look at and see what's happening with interaction between people and who's making out with who, who's who's going to who, everything like that. And I think like a big... It tends to be more... I wouldn't say maybe not, maybe there is a slight disadvantage, but I think it's more the fact like who you feel more comfortable with. So, for example, the people who came together as a before for pre drinks or something, more likely they're going to make out with each other. Um, but if we just eliminate that and just think who who's making out with other people that they don't know, it tends to be people with more confidence uh, tend to do that. That's kind of all I'm going to say. And then it tends to be in my in, in looking at it white black and white people had more confidence to approach someone 
whereas a lot of brown guys had more were more reserved in that in that regard or were just hit on by brown girls because brown you know there's that's this this I think it's quite common that brown like that you're gonna there can be more people liking their own color. I say I say like you you know what I mean. Do you think that's reinforced by what you've been taught? So, uh, example, our experience in America: white woman scoffs at you as a brown man. Somewhere programmed in your head, you if that happens to you enough times, you're going to be like, shit. Maybe that's not mm. my demographic. Therefore, yeah. I'm not going to approach these people with enough confidence. Whereas, one hundred percent. Whereas in the community of brown people, brown women are being told, "Marry a brown man, be with a brown man." Uh, brown men are being told, "Have a good Indian wife, have a good Pakistani wife." Um, so it's kind of reinforced this idea of you're funneling you down into a direction in which you need to go. So that could be a reason. Where I think it's, I think it might be more accountability, but, but I think in terms of back to my question. Oh yeah. Have you had to? Do you think you have had to try harder to be found attractive? Yes and no. Um, I think when you're younger, I think when you're younger in your early, like early twenties, you don't have that much sexual value for a male. And I think being obviously if you're if we're being stereotypical you know stereotypical black guy or stereotypical white guy or whatever you tend to get more access because i think i think a lot of people just don't i know i know i know a few people that do like brown people like white white people that do like Mm -hmm. brown people like everyone everyone has their preferences and i'm all all and i'm I'm all for that if you have a preference cool that's that's okay it doesn't mean like you're but i just think that maybe there's that seed like you said you put that question in your head and i think that slows down your that reduces your confidence levels immediately and i and i've noticed that more in in bars and clubs that i worked in um that it tends to be that it tends to be that uh i often say like uh there's a really good quote that i was listening to like in order for you to grow as a person or to try things you need tension in your life and you, you you know if you want to progress more in whatever field be it talking to girls uh, doing well in life or like play, doing your work concentrating your work you need some kind of tension and i think maybe for a lot of the a lot of brown people that i see they they don't want that tension so they're scared of they're scared of scared of rejection which is a common not, not i wouldn't say it's just a brown person thing it's, it's a it's male a, trait it's just oh, a, male it's trait. a human trait maybe and the more you get rejected the better it is in terms of the better your the first, I remember the first time I got rejected was absolutely like heartbreak in my in my chest. Like I felt it in my chest, Jamie. I never felt that kind of pain before. And then I realized, like, then as you as you try more and more, and you ask out, and then you're like, okay. Then you build up a a shell, and you get stronger with that. Uh, do I feel that brown people in general? Uh, maybe at younger age, maybe at a younger age, yes. But I think now at our age, there's there might be a few differences in there. It's all about preference, about how you act. I think it's more about, I've come in and spoken to people, you know, when we go to club clubs or anything like that, and I'm just a guy just having fun. They might look at me a bit longer. They might look at me a bit longer and be like, oh, you know, he's brown, but damn, can he dance? And, you know, that's, 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 that's you know, all things that, how, how I talk to people, I've definitely improved it. 
I think I used to think like that. I used to think, God damn, brown people ain't sexy. Um, and I think maybe there's maybe there's some element of truth to that. Well, I think there's an element of it having been reinforced in... Reinforced. Reinforced uh, in s- social culture that we live in. So I agree. I think if you take stock of your experience, if I look at high school... Like um, there's a lot of shows that like, again, with the comedy thing, I think a, a good example is, what was that sh- comedy show of the family? The Kumars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and that stuff and then that's comedy and like oh he's funny or anything but is he attractive kind of situation also, but that is also a oh that's funny but that's brown people being brown brown people, people. Uh, yeah um and i think it's more the like you look at it's like we can act as in and this is i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to bash people here i'm 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 i'm, I'm a bit slightly bashing media mm-hmm. and and like bbc kind of situation you got but then you have like more drama or romantic shows like uh what's like a uh we could we could we could play the love island card and stuff like that where big brother or stuff like that you know there is white and black people but no brown people to mm-hmm. think so you kind of we're kind of in the void oh that'd be interesting in, has there ever been a brown person on love island i'm, I'm sure that I'm, I'm 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 sure there has been uh but, but I, th- I would hazard a guess i mean i guess there's tends to be a typical kind of person on Love Island anyway. So they probably do conform to that same type. Yeah. And this, and I think it's more the fact that, but that type is probably not what's considered to be typically Brown. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, and that's a, yeah, that's that, that I can understand that. But I think in terms of do uh, is Brown people more or less attractive, I think, I think it's all on depending on the person, how you look and how you feel. And I think, when you look at TV shows and stuff like that, there's not a lot of... Str- in Bollywood scene, yeah, but there's not like a lot of strong men. Str- strong men in general, but just strong brown men in 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 easy-to-digest culture. So well, we are programmed by... Well, fortunately or unfortunately, we're programmed by the media and the culture around us. Well, and I, so I, when I wouldn't say we're programmed, when, but okay. I mean, it has a big part of in, in our conditioning, should I say. If you want to we're be, We're conditioned. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not f- for us, but for quite a lot of people, it does happen on a subconscious level. Yeah. And so when you're not seeing, we're talking about Brown's people specifically, but it could be, a lot of people could have this, like disabled people um, or other people who feel underrepresented. The, lots of these people who don't fit the given beauty standard of what's considered sexy, um, what's considered desirable. Yeah, but I think it's just more the fact... I do think... I'm only talking about movie roles. Like, you know, there's... And I say movie roles, like you've got basically all of Bollywood films being 99.9999% like brown. So, you know, you've got that kind of thing. If you want strong kind of thing, yeah, sure, that's fine. I just think maybe in, in the world that, in the circles that we live in, um, there might be a lack of it. But that doesn't mean that I don't, there's no... Do there's, you think we have a, a right to ask for representation or sexual representation in quote-unquote Western culture? culture. Um, quote-unquote white culture? <laughs> Should we just be content with being like, hey, you've got Bollywood You've got people who are, you're, you're sexualized in that space. Um, I think it's, that's an interesting question. I think, I think it needs to be more, if we force it, it's going to be shit. I think if you force anything, 
down TV shows, Star Wars, for example, if you force like kind of these 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 the these political agendas first, it's going to be garbage. So I think it's more it needs to happen more organically, and it will happen more organically in time. You just got to give it the right conditions and have someone who who just wants to make a good story or something or a good movie, and then it's just like okay, this this brown person is going to be in it, and you're like cool, and and that's fine. And there's and and I think there's very you know. There's very attractive brown people. There's very attractive. There's attractive black people. There's attractive white people. I'm talking about males. And the really cool thing about being male is that you can you can enhance your beauty a lot more. Um, uh, you know, if you if you want to, you, you can work out. Uh, attraction attraction is different. I, I you know attraction is different to a woman than it is to a male. Like how we view attraction. So there's many things that you can change to help you out. But yeah, I can. I think when when I was younger, I used to think, damn. I'm unattractive or, or, or it's like, Oh, I'm less attractive than the common. But then I think that changes. I think when your mindset changes a little bit. Do people tell you you are pretty slash attractive? I've been, I've been often, I don't know why they say ever since I was a, a kid, a lot of, a lot of people, women in general tend to think like, Oh, you got really cool eyelashes, like long eyelashes and stuff like that. Or, or, you know, you have a really, um, ever since I, I growing out the beard, the beard has been often a big hit. You know, currently growing out the afro hair, so the hair is is growing out. Um, people are enjoying it. Um, Do you think that's the same thing? I think like it's, picking up on individual yeah, things. I think there's little things. If you like someone, you'd be like, "Oh, he's cute," or "She's cute," or "She has these things." Do people tell you you are pretty? No. Slash attractive. Attractive, yes, but not like. Yeah, I think not 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 as blatantly as that. I think that's a different. It's a different game in, in, in well, I was thinking about this recently and I start I, I wandered down this think path. But then I also started thinking about is that just a male thing in general? Like do you think men get told they're pretty? No. Slash attractive? No, I think I no, I think it's more yeah, it's different. I think that's more the I know we're focusing on the brown guy there. Um I think it's more there is a there is a there is a maybe like a few boundaries between between there, but I think England's really good at breaking that boundary down. And so I know a few people that like. <laughs> I remember someone's like, "Oh, I like brown bad boys." Like I'm just like, fair play. And I think it's more the fact that they're bad boy than they are brown. Like the brown is just a preference that they want, like the preference that they like. I think they like just the badness. And everybody likes a lot of women like bad boys, like like bad like you know. There's that there's that uh, um, attraction. Um, to that and we, we you know there's so many other factors that can take into play but I think it's just more oh I just I just I like bad boys I like them brown and that's okay and I'm like excellent and I was like and and uh, I think when we were teenagers I remember my uh, a friend said was like we came we came out of the oven perfect that mm. the whole brown thing we came out of thing we we didn't get burnt and we didn't get we didn't get out too early so there's there's often thing it's the way you view attractiveness and I think the way you project I think the way you project yourself will get you better results. But do I think I'm going to get more results than a six foot two black, black guy on steroids, like hitting it in? Of course not. If you're standing in a line of maybe equal attractiveness, white person, you, what black person. What, what, what is attractiveness? That's the, that's, you're, you're bringing it in there because I, in my head, I'm thinking, are we different physics size? Are, are, we, are we the same mass? Uh, you know, are, are same facial features, anything like that. I think there is a, there is a, um, there is an attractive white guy is different to attractive black guy. Is a different to attractive brown dude? 
I know, I know I've got you stopped there because I know you want me to say some like, <laughs> like damn, brown people, they're, they're lowest, they're lowest on the tape. I think they're lowest on the, uh, you want me to say they're lowest on the uh, dating scene, or like the lowest on the margin. And maybe it's true. Maybe you're right. Maybe like the way people view, if you, if you chose a thousand women to, to rate one black dude, one white dude and one brown dude and rate it in order on attractiveness, maybe brown guys stay on bottom. Now the reason for that they just don't know how good, how good we are. Maybe it's that. So I think it's about time we uh, wrap this up. What? Excellent. I'm hungry. I want some <laughs> dinner. You know I'm hungry. Um, what do you think, what purpose should this conversation serve? Uh, I think it's to make you more, I think a good thing is to make you more aware of situations and not, it make you less like apologetic. It, depend, it depends on the people I'm talking to right now. Say, so, you know, if you're English born and you're white, you know, there's nothing wrong with you being ignorant of things. There's, you know, there's, there are things in, there are things that I'm still ignorant about in English standard culture that confuses the hell out of me still. Uh, but it's always interesting to learn. And I think this was just a nice little, just dip into our lives and to see how, if there was any similarities that you had between us or differences between between our lives, laugh at some of our situations. Um, you know, other people who are brown or black or whatever other colour, did you have similar situations? Is there, you know, talking about, like you're not alone if you have these thoughts in your head about being a brown dude and thinking, shit, I'm not getting laid. Is that normal? You know, you know they're, they're in that kind of situ in that in that kind of situation, or afraid of the culture. Should we should we should we retreat back to our circle? It's like no, it's just more like a. This is basically a culture clash. You know, you spoke about culture clash. This is basically we're just experience. We're just telling you our experience of culture clashes, and seeing how different mindsets can change your opinion on it. What about you? What do you think? The um. I think this is an example of the bridging. Mm. I think ultimately for me, it's about, I think, providing information of somebody outside of the circle. Um, it's neither white nor brown. It's kind of a bit of both. Uh, bright. It's bright. Ignorance is just a state of knowing before you know something. Um, and hopefully this is a bit of information for someone to be like, oh shit, I didn't realize this is what's happening. Just sitting down and listening into other people's experiences. This is voyeurism. It's being like, let's just find out about these people whose experience isn't our own and get some access into it. No, that's but um, if you somehow survived this whole podcast, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, letting me be your first ever guest. Um... And only guest, because we're done. This season's over. We're done. We're out. See you later. One episode season. <laughs> That's all we do. See you next year. For those of you who listened in, congratulations. You made it. This is the end. This is the end of the Andy Dufresne shit pipe that you climbed all the way through. Shawshank Redemption. But did you get clean on the other side? That's the real question. <laughs> I hate, this is the part that I dislike the most. It's the, the self-promotion part of it. I, I hope people 
maybe got something of value from it, some sort of enjoyment. Nothing wrong with self-promotion. You just have to... It makes me uncomfortable. Okay. Do you want me to do it then? Yes, please. Sure. So uh, what do you want me to talk about? So if you hopefully had a good, you know, enjoyed the podcast, let us know. It's uh, a good one. I like that. On whatever website that we have it on. I currently don't know because I'm the guest of this show. Uh, for next podcast details, do we have a schedule no ETA, yeah. ETA? Uh, we don't know. Uh, so if you, if you do have any shouts that, uh, actually this is, my, this is my personal promotion. Excellent. Um, I guess the way in which I envisioned it or my preference is that I don't know about you and how you consume podcasts, but for me, I like when I listen in on them, I might latch onto a certain thing that I like or enjoy about it or that I resonated with. And it kind of reminds me of somebody else. And I'm kind of like, shit, that's a thing that I could have a conversation with that person about. Mm. And then I hand that episode off to onto them and be like, listen in on this and then let's have a discourse about it. Uh, or maybe and be like, you might enjoy this or this is a thing that we should engage with. And hopefully they then like it and if everybody's able to do that, then you can have a chain of conversation of people talking about things that maybe we necessarily weren't talking about before. Yeah, we're trying to start a... And then if that person hands it off to another person and that person, that would yeah. be... We're trying to start a that dialogue. That would be my... I, yeah, exactly. That, that would start, be my tr- personal... Hello, I, my name's Dev. I'm, I'm the actual host of this show. We're <laughs> going to start a dialogue here. So if you did enjoy our show, please let us know. Uh, any any contact from your end that there might be uh, like a... A Facebook, Instagram thing for you, People Jamie. People just me straight up on the gram. Uh, Instagram, so can you tell us what your Instagram is? No. Excellent. Uh, we will get to, once we get more, you know, professional about it, we will end at a better rate. But hopefully uh, you had a great time and thank you for your time and patience. Have a good evening. Take care. Bye. That was good. I'm going to end it over time. I love ending. I love ending. <laughs> I love ending shit. That felt good. <laughs> this is why this is why I can't be committed. I love endings. <laughs>